That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I'm trying really hard not to take it personally. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like sometimes, like I think a lot of people walk around in the course of their day waiting to be offended. I think there's a whole, I have friends who are easily offended. And I think, gosh, really? That gets you down? Well, I I don't know. Maybe I have a right to be offended today. I was really looking forward to my interview on Friday at Pac-12 Media Day in Las Vegas with Coach Prime. Like, you know, I've been talking about it. I've been thinking about it. I've said, you know, should I make him call me BFT? He's asking uh, for everybody else to uh, call him Coach Prime. He's prone to getting up and walking out on interviews. I spent considerable thought, like my bandwidth, considerable bandwidth on this. How, what am I going to ask him? I hadn't scripted anything, won't script anything, but I've been thinking about it. And then the news came today, about two hours ago. Brian Howell of the Boulder Daily Camera breaking the news that Colorado head coach Deion Sanders will not attend Pac-12 Media Day on Friday. He's having a surgery on Thursday. His defensive coordinator, Charles Kelly, will go in his place. This is not good. Foot procedure, he says. Routine follow-up on his foot. Unfortunately, his recovery will preclude him from attending Pac-12 Media Day. This is a big blow to the event. And, frankly, it, it, is, uh, it is a personal attack on me. If I, if I were easily offended, I would view it that way. In all seriousness, um, I hope he gets well. I'm looking forward to seeing his play. I would love to get Coach Prime on the show. I'm And... There, I couldn't help, though, when I saw the cancellation of him not going to media day. says he's going to have a couple of surgeries to remove another blood clot in his right leg. Doctors are also going to straighten two of his toes so they don't cause any more pain in his shoes. Deion Sanders, in a video posted on his Instagram, do we have the audio of this yet, Stephen? Can we grab the audio? Okay, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to play it. I'll let Coach Prime speak because at first glance, like, Stephen, your first reaction when you saw Coach Prime will not be at media day was what? Oh, sadness. Say it yeah. ain't so, John. I mean, I, I, I love Coach Prime. I love what he's doing at Colorado, and I, I wanted to hear what he had to say. And uh, it is a little disappointing because, you know, Colorado is the, the main talked about you know school in college football right now, and it's re- the main reason is because of Coach Prime, so I would have loved to hear it. It's, it's a little disappointing. I'm disappointed, and I think uh, I initially thought, gosh, is he dodging media day? Is he a prima donna? 
is this about ego? Is this about, you know what, I'm in such demand, it, the media day was going to be so much about me, you know what, I'm not even going to go. I'm going to come, I'm going to schedule a doctor appointment on that day. And then yet I see that uh, he's having his toes straightened, and I, and I have to acknowledge that this could be a legitimate excuse for missing media day. Here he is on his Instagram breaking the news. Hey, I want you to hear it from the horse. I don't like hearsay, and he say, and she said, and they said. Okay, it's what I said, all right? I apologize that I'm not going to be at the Pac-12 media day due to I, get, I have to have a, another surgery tomorrow. A couple surgeries, pretty much, right? Yes. A couple surgeries, okay? Uh, one in my leg as well as to remove other clots, and they got to go. You can even show these, but we really don't know to show them. You can show This is going to be the last time my toes look like that. Okay, you see how they all bent over? Tell them what they're going to do, Lauren. They're going to straighten them out, these two. They're going to straighten this one out, and they're going to straighten this one out as well. Right, and I'm really dislocated up on the bottom. I don't know if we're going to get to that left. No, that'll be That's another left. time. Yep. That's a whole but they're going to fix these two toes so they're... They don't cause any more pain in the shoes. Right, and they're gonna get the blood clots out of this out leg. Out of the right so leg. We already correct. took care of them, got them out of this leg. Now we gotta get them out of that. But uh, God got them. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your your wishes. Thank you for your uh, everything. Thank you for everything. And let me tell you this: this is how the devil works. He thinks that if he stops my mobility, he can stop my ability. <laughs> Devil is a lie. Mm. He, he, he can't do that. Okay, you could you you can't stop my mobility first and foremost, and that don't stop my ability. My ability is God given. You cannot touch that. You could delay that, but you can't deny that. So I'm gonna be high stepping and running out. I promise you, when we go to TCU, I'm running out in front of our team. I promise you that. Coach Prime going to run out in front of his team. Uh, I love the music. Really pre-produced, uh, very well-produced Instagram post. Um, but uh, he produced the toes. He produced the excuse. I guess we let him off the hook. I still can't help but feel a little bit hurt by Coach Prime canceling after waiting months for an interview. I was not uh, the exclusive interview, but I was getting him one-on-one -on -one as part of tomorrow's media day. Uh, instead, they're offering up the defensive coordinator, I told the Pac-12 I'm going to pass on that. See, they play hardball, I play hardball back. You give me Coach Prime or you get no truth at all. That's what I'm going to say tomorrow at Media Day. Still, I'm doing 34 interviews, Friday at Media Day, rather. 34 interviews uh, that will be part of Media Day. We'll have it all here on the BFT, uh, from Dan Lanning to Jonathan Smith to Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., Jake Dickert, uh, Kalen DeBoer, George Kiavkov, the Pac-12 commissioner. We will have it all on uh, on Friday's show, so I want you here for it. Tomorrow, I've got some special guests on the show. John Wilner will be joining us to preview Pac-12 Media Day. We'll talk all about what he expects, what I expect. I also am dipping into the archives, and I'm looking back at last year's Media Day, and I'm pulling audio cuts, and I keep finding better and better and better material. Did 34 interviews last year, and... Some of those interviews were interesting, like David Shaw, the Stanford coach. I don't know if you remember what he said on last year's show, uh, on last year's media day. But it was interesting because I feel a little misled by David Shaw from last year's media day. Stephen, do you remember what David Shaw said? Oh, I remember, John. Uh, I remember because I bought into it, and I remember, uh, I believe it was week two, USC was playing Stanford, and I thought, you know what, Stanford at home? 
Uh, maybe I'll take them on the money line. Maybe I'm gonna maybe they're gonna buy in what David Shaw said. But uh, I think he was he what you know said lying in the weeds. I think he was lying to us. Yeah, he uh, he did give kind of a good interview. I'm gonna give a part of it here. I've I've always looked at Stanford as a little bit different. I grew up in the Bay Area, and I think with the transfer portal, you've got a different dynamic there. That you know you maybe you're not gonna lose guys because Stanford education is gonna keep guys home. But how how different does it feel to you to be in that world and have the portal and NIL be part of it? But you know, are you are you playing with different calculus there at Stanford? Uh, well, that's the thing is that we're not. We're going to continue to recruit the way that we recruit. And for us, we're going to attract the same guys, right? So for us, someone who's choosing between a an NIL deal that is enticing him to go to a college, which is illegal, by the way, yeah, um, and coming to Stanford, which we say it's short-term versus long-term. You want to take your Stanford degree, which is going to earn more over the long run. Anyway, we've got the stats to prove it. So for those people that are long-term thinkers that know that I'm coming to Stanford not just for somebody to hand me money but find a way for me to make money, whether that's in the NFL, beyond the NFL, whether starting your own company, which a lot of our former athletes have started their own companies and who are higher up in different companies and doing a lot of great things. Um, so that hasn't really affected us. And as you said, too, like the transfer portal, um, I, I think in a lot of ways is a positive. Um, it's, it's over the top a little bit right now. But you want to have student athletes have you say, oh, you know what, I made a mistake, and give them the opportunity to go someplace that they fit better. And meanwhile, David Shaw out the door not long after giving that interview. Uh, so we will uh, go back on tomorrow's show, and I'll show you what Dan Lanning said. I will give you what Jonathan Smith said a year ago, and we will foreshadow Friday's media day. Is the messaging going to be different? Coach, no Coach Prime at the event. Uh, Steven, for me, it loses luster. George Klyovkov will be the headliner. He will come out, and he will give his State of the Union address. He'll be peppered with questions about the meteorites deal. But if Pac-12 football media day was going to be about football, for me, there was no bigger start than Coach Prime for the Pac-12. This is a massive blow to the event. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think the two things that you most you know people were looking forward to at the media day was about the media rights deal and Coach Prime. And you know, we're not we already know we're not going to get a media rights deal announcement. Now we know Coach Prime won't be there. So I mean, now it's going to be a very you know localized event. Like you know, I'm excited to hear from Jonathan Smith and Dan Lanning. But you know, there's other coaches I don't I don't necessarily care a whole bunch about. Like I, I want to hear from everybody, but like I'm really going to take into account what Jonathan Smith has to say. Last year he said some cool things. I want to hear what he says this year. But Coach Prime was the highlight, John. Like I, I'm a little disappointed. And uh, you know, call me crazy here, but I went uh, conspiracy, Stephen, at the very start of this. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're ready for it. If it's too early for conspiracies, but let's bring it. Bring all right. It. When I heard Coach Prime not going to Pac-12 media day, my initial thought was. Oh, man, is he angling to get out of the Pac-12? He doesn't mm. even want to be a part of the Pac-12. He wants to be part of the Big 12 or he wants to be part of something else. That was my first thought. And you know, and then I thought, ah, I'm being a little crazy right now. But that's my thought, and that's how that's that's the kind of situation we're in as Pac-12 fans is my mind goes to the worst now when I hear any type of news like this. Yeah, but I also think, like, look, the, the 12 and ons are with you. Like, the conspiracy theorists out there that are that are seeing this immediately went, oh, how convenient. He's not going to be there. Does this mean Colorado is leaving for the Big 12 Conference effective July 25th? That's like the latest rumor that they are floating around. Like they got past Oregon and Washington going to the Big 10, past Arizona and Arizona State leaving for the Big 12, past Utah leaving for the Big 12, lingered around Colorado leaving for the Big 12, focused on the Regents meeting. Oh, there's some agenda item 
Um, you know, and anybody who knows the Regents meetings knows those agenda items are often just thrown on there, and uh, and they are a wide, uh, they're just a blanket that's thrown on there, you know, to allow them to talk about a variety of different things. But now the conspiracy theorists will talk uh, like you about this being Colorado doesn't want any part of the event. Well, Rick George, the Colorado AD, is going to be floating around there tomorrow or Friday. I keep saying tomorrow. I'm excited about this event. Friday is part of Pac-12 Media Day. It should be a two-day event. That's what they should do because then they could tell Coach Prime, hey, you can't make it on Friday? Well, guess what? You can headline Thursday. That would be great. Works for us. Works for you. They should actually just announce that. But, it, you know, Rick George is going to be floating around there. I'll grab the Colorado AD and try to get him to slide into Coach Prime's uh, position in our interview lineup because I'm going to talk to Shador Sanders. He's going to be there. Prime's kid. You know, I'm going to talk to Travis Hunter, the two-way player that plays cornerback and wide receiver. Uh, but I want to talk to somebody about uh, at Colorado about where Colorado's head is in all of this because I can't help but think, like you, that the conspiracy theorists are going to grab this thing and run with it and say, oh, you're, you know what? Colorado didn't want to be anywhere near this event. In fact, Coach Prime is bowing out. Well, I actually think Coach Prime is probably a guy who's going to be at Colorado for what, two, three, four years maximum? Is that you know is that what what his tenure is going to be at Colorado? I don't see him necessarily as the forever person at Colorado, and so I don't think any decision that Colorado makes when it comes to what conference they're going to be in or whether they'll be playing in 2025 and 2032 or whatever you know they want to be, I don't think any of that's going to have to do with what really what Coach Prime wants, even though they may pander to him and listen and nod if he says, oh, I want to be in the Big 12 or I want to be in the uh, SEC or, you know, they may nod. Like, you know, they know if he wins, he's going to leave Colorado. But I, I, at first glance, I thought he was big time in the event. And then after I saw the Instagram post, he holds up the toes for proof. I don't think a grown man's going to hold up his toes for proof unless they're really proof. And I think uh, that's where we're kind of at with that event. Now, without Coach Prime there, George Klyovkov's the headliner. In your mind, Stephen, which Pac-12 coach or player slides into prime spot as like the second act of Pac-12 Media Day? Um, I think it'd probably be Lincoln Riley. And I think the, the attention then goes to, well, this is USC's last year. They're bringing back the Heisman Trophy quarterback. Uh, they're the favorites in the Pac-12. I think Lincoln Riley has a chance to uh, be that guy if he says some things. I think there's going to be some questions asked to him you know, regarding the Pac-12 and regarding the Big Ten that you know, it's going to be hard to avoid. Uh, so I think he could become you know, the real talking point of the Pac-12 media day. And then I also think Jonathan Smith can be as well. I, I, I do think Oregon State, they have a lot of momentum going on right now. Last year, you know, I always go back to this, last year he talked about how they wanted to get to Vegas. And you know, I didn't really take it seriously. And they almost got there. This year, it's a realistic possibility that they get to Las Vegas in the Pac-12 championship game. I think if he can make some noise as well. So I'm really excited to hear from those two guys, uh, from the coaching staffs. And then the players, I think Shadur Sanders. Uh, since Coach Prime's not going to be there, I think Shadur could mm. be the face of Colorado football for a day. And then then Coach Prime comes back and he's the face. But I think Shadur, you know, because I've heard him talk before. I heard him being interviewed. He's a great. He does a great interview. He does a great job in front of the camera. Uh, he's very entertaining, just like his father. So I think he could really be uh, one of the stars of Pac-12 Media Day. I'm kind of wondering if Caleb Williams, or Michael Penix Jr. or Bo Nix slides into that that second role, or or if Dan Lanning, the Oregon coach, he's got some personality. I agree with you on Lincoln Riley. He could 
be that person. It's not in Kyle Whittingham's nature to kind of steal the spotlight. But I, I actually think Dan Lanning's got a little bit of that, that moxie, that he could slide up and make a little noise, say something a little more outlandish. Chip Kelly has been that person in other years. Of course, we've seen Mike Leach at Pac-12 Media Day. Um, you know, he, he grabbed the spotlight. But, you know, I want to hear from listeners. What are you looking forward to on Friday? And what do you make of Coach Prime bailing on the event to have a surgery? 503-417-7575 is the number. Let's go to Josh in Vancouver. Josh, you have the floor. Hey, John. Thanks for taking my call, man. Uh, first, let me say I'm super disappointed about Pac-12 Media Day. I am, man, you've been hyping, I'm going to blame you, actually, because you've been hyping this thing up so freaking much for me all week, and I've been so pumped to get the answers that we all were hoping to get, and now I know we're not going to get them, but that's not necessarily the end of the world. Uh, I did want to share something with you. I don't know if you were aware, and and I'm going to say this with uh, full transparency. I have no way to validate or confirm if this information that was out earlier I think it was last week or the week before there was a report out that Coach Prime's situation with his foot is actually pretty serious. And there, he's got like a syndrome, like a compartmental syndrome or something like that. And they were actually considerations for like amputation. So I really hope that's not the case for Coach Prime, uh, really, or anybody dealing with some, you know, medical thing like that for that, for that matter. So, I, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a bummer because I really do think his energy is good for the conference. I think – uh, all the hype around Coach Prime is an incredible thing for the conference. Uh, and it just keeps uh, the Pac-12, even if it's for negative reasons, I feel a little bit like maybe George Klyovkov is pulling his best version of Nike right now. And what I mean by that is this, is even if the, the news is negative, he's keeping them constantly in the conversation of the offseason, and he's letting – the 12 and ons and everybody else do their thing, and but it's literally keeping the focus on the Pac-12 all the time, for good or bad. Uh, their name is in just about everything, and the attention's been on them all summer, which I can't really say is a bad thing for the conference. So, anyways, just thought I'd share those thoughts, John. Have a great day. If I don't talk to you probably the rest of the week, have an amazing weekend. Enjoy Pac-12 Media Week. Yeah, I just love how Josh in Vancouver's blaming me because I was excited. It's true. I was hyped for this. I still am hyped. I'm hyped because I'm going to get to talk to Michael Penix Jr. and Caleb Williams and George Klyovkov, and I'm going to you know, press him on media questions. And Chip Kelly, it'll be what could be our final interview. Will Chip Kelly get wispy? Our final one-on-one as part of media day. He's going to the Big Ten Conference in a year. This, would, this may be my last one-on-one with Chip Kelly, for crying out loud. Like, bring some Kleenex. We could go Barbara Walters. It could cause a problem. You know, as part of Media Day, what happens is it's kind of like this, uh, you know, Radio Row becomes this rotation where, like, Chip Kelly will be sitting, like, in the uh, Arizona sports, uh, you know, cubicle, and then he'll bounce to uh, Seattle and KJR, and then he'll bounce to me, and then he'll go from me to, like, uh, you know, Sirius XM Radio. And, you know, it's like, you know, all these radio stations in a row, it's Radio Row, but um, I'm just wondering if we'll cause a logjam when Chip Kelly sits down and we do a Barbara Walters-style interview and he's, he's using Kleenex and we're saying our goodbyes. There's, me, still, mu- there's still a bunch to talk about. Yeah, let me ask you a question about uh, Kenny Dillingham in particular. Because he, t- he came out and said he was most excited to see Bo Nix. Am I correct about that? He, he was excited to see Bo Nix in Pac-12 yeah. Media Day. 
Uh, going back to his introductory press conference at Arizona State, I lack of a better term, it came across a little immature to me, like, you know, out there. Just, I don't know, it just seemed like he wasn't ready for the moment. What do you expect out of him at Pac-12 Media Day? Because there's not a lot of talk about Arizona State, not a lot of expectations, but I think we all think Dylan Ham is a really good coach. But is he quite ready to be you know, the head guy at a program like Arizona State? I think he's ready. But I want to ask him, did Bo Nix get him that job? And is he ready? He's got the enthusiasm. He certainly is the – like when you make a hire, Arizona State corrected from Herm Edwards. They went from older, experienced NFL analyst, NFL model coach to – young, enthusiastic guy who is homegrown. And you, you'll often see programs and franchises course correct 180 degrees from where they've been. Uh, I think that uh, you have to give Kenny Dillingham the benefit of the doubt. That said, his spring football game was not an enthusiastic showing. He didn't get a bunch of people in the stands. They blamed it on the heat. They blamed it on the Pat Tillman run that was that 5K run that was taking place that morning. But the spring game had a a dismal showing. So can he capture enthusiasm? Offensively, can they be fun? And do they have the offensive and defensive line to compete in year one? And I think that I don't think they do. And I think that's the question for Kenny Dillingham. But you know, he got the job. It's his job now, and I, I do think Bo Nix got him that job. And I think Will Stein is probably looking at Bo Nix going, hey, I can be a head coach if this goes it goes well for me. I want you to leave it here. We have so much to talk about. We're going to go to Arizona next. That's right, Justin Spears of the Arizona Daily Star will be joining us. We'll talk about Jed Fish. We'll talk about Jaden Delora. We'll talk about what he's expecting from the Arizona Wildcats this season. Let's get a preview. Right? Are they going to be a breakout team or not? Later in the show, we talk about Damian Lillard. Is it possible that Lillard and Blazers fans are in this together? Will he start the season in Portland? I'll talk more about it. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Coach Prime will not be at Media Day on Friday. He gets a pass. I got several friends in the Pac 12 uh, conference media circle who are saying, hey, he's got his medical condition. Uh, maybe he didn't want to. Uh, maybe he didn't want to face questions about the transfer portal and the turnover of the roster. I don't know. Rick George, his athletic director, will be present there. I will try to get him and bring him onto the show. Uh, Oregon State fans, Jonathan Smith will be there. Dan Landing will be there. All of them will appear on Friday's show. Uh, Justin Spears is uh, the new guy on the beat at Arizona at the Tucson Star. Hosts a radio show. He's a Heisman voter. Uh, has done a terrific job covering Arizona sports. I got to know what he thinks of Arizona because I think they could be sneaky good, especially good on offense. Justin Spears joining us now. How are you, man? Doing great, John. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you making time for us. And, you know, I'm eager to see uh, Jed Fish. I remember when he was the new guy at Arizona and didn't know much about him. And now, I, you know, I'm excited to see what Arizona is going to look like. What questions does he have as media day comes on Friday? Well, of course, the the question that everyone wants to know about is regarding quarterback Jaden Delora. Uh, you know, this was, you know, an off season that was supposed to, you know, really bring some excitement, and it, it does still bring some excitement. But of course, you know, there was a stain on the off season when Jaden Delora, uh, Arizona star quarterback, settled a lawsuit stemming from his high school days in 2018 when he was accused of sexual assault. So dealing with that. 
that that puts a stain on Arizona's offseason because you know you think about this Arizona they just beat ASU you know things were things are on the up and up they yeah they finished the season five and seven but think about it they ended the year one and eleven a year prior to that and was riding a twenty game losing streak when Kevin Sumlin left the program he left it in pretty rough shape and Jed Fish and his staff have done an excellent job of restoring the talent restocking the shelves and getting depth for Arizona. Now that it's in year three of this project, Arizona is expected to take flight. And I think they will. However, unfortunately for Arizona, their quarterback has to answer some questions. And Jaden Delora and Jed Fish, they've had two months to prepare for this. And I think getting out and facing the music now, I think is a great opportunity for them. And I commend them for it. You know, rather than, you know, keeping Jaden Delora from talking to the media, they're just going to roll him out there allow him to face the music. And I think that's a good deal for Arizona. But as far as, you know, on the field questions for Jed Fish, you know, where is Arizona at right now in terms of the rebuild? Uh, the first year of getting the recruiting class together, they focused on getting Jaden Delora, Jacob Cowing, T-Mac, Tanner McLaughlin, the tight end. They got all these guys to be a part of the offense. Offense became the sixth best passing offense in college football a year ago, but the defense was really its Achilles heel. And if the defensive rushing defense wasn't so poor last year, I mean, we're talking about Arizona possibly going to a bowl game. You know, I look at that Cal game as a game where Arizona really had a handle on it. And then Jaden Ott went full Bo Jackson Tecmo Bowl and just completely ran over Arizona. You know, the Wildcats gave up 300 yards on multiple occasions in games last season. So I think if they're able to shore up the rushing defense, and address that area, in which they did by getting guys out of the transfer portal, uh, then I think Arizona is going to be a pretty decent team. But I, I just have a big question about the rushing defense and also, you know, how much are these young players developed? In the second half of last season, Jed Fish utilized a lot of true freshmen. Where are these guys at right now going into year two? So those are some major questions for Arizona. Is there discomfort in the fan base with the Jaden Delora settling the sex assault lawsuit, or is it mild discomfort? Is it just certain factions? Do people just need to hear from him? How do you sort of gauge the discomfort with that? You know, there are some people, you know, who have told me, you know, I'm not going to be watching Arizona with that guy as a quarterback. But I think majority of the fan base, they understand that this is a very unique situation. And, you know, we don't have the details from, the criminal lawsuit. So it's un it's really unfair to Jaden to just, you know, assume that he is guilty of all this when all the details from the criminal case aren't disclosed to the public because they're juveniles. So um, it, it's really, really tough to gauge right now. But, you know, I also know a lot of Arizona fans are excited for Jaden Delora and they're excited to see what he can do in year two under the system with Jet Fish. And, you know, Jaden, I think, you know, after spending the offseason with the Manning Passing Academy, I think, you know, with other camps also settling into Jed Fish's system, you know, when you think about the transfers last year, Michael Penix, Caleb Williams, Bo Nix even, you know, all these guys, yeah, they were transfer portal guys, year one players, but they were all reuniting with former coaches. Jaden Delore didn't really have that luxury, and he was learning a completely new system. So there were a lot of growing pains last year. And Jaden Delora still threw the third most yards by a quarterback in single season history at Arizona. So um, I think after going through all those growing pains, 
year two is going to be good for, for Jaden Delora. But, yeah, there, there, in terms of your question, I, I think there's definitely a mixed bag, but more people are definitely leaning on the side of supporting Jaden. Yeah, and I think you know part of it is how is he going to handle this. There must be some level of confidence from Dave Hickey, the athletic director at Arizona, and the, yeah. and the media relations department with his maturity and how he will handle it. I'm eager to see what he's going to say. I've got questions for him. That said, let's talk football, the offensive sure. side of the ball. This feels like yeah. a team that can really score. Am I reading that right, that they, they should be a team that puts up 35, 40 points a game? Yeah, and you you look at their pass catchers, number one, with Jacob Cowling, who led the Pac-12 in receptions a year ago. And he was the only receiver to have 85 catches last season. Now he's coming back and is expected to be an all-Pac-12 receiver. And then you got T-Mac, Tetsuyaroa McMillan, who I know you guys are very familiar with up there in Oregon. You know, once upon a time in Oregon commit, now down here in Arizona. What I saw in spring was – a new version of T-Mac. I mean, he was already a stellar athlete and was spectacular in year one, but after spending some time in the weight room and really, really settling in, the, the catches that he was making, the plays that he was making during spring ball, I think Tetsaro McMillan is going to take the Pac-12 by storm this year, and even college football. Uh, so I look at, you know, T-Mac, Jacob Cowling, those two guys right there are – as good as any tandem in the country, in my personal opinion. But um, those two guys are going to be big-time scorers. And also I think, you know, what's, what's going to be the ultimate success or the key to Arizona's success is what's going on up front, right? You can't do anything unless you got a great offensive line. And, you know, I think the biggest win for Arizona this offseason was getting left tackle Jordan Morgan back. Now, Jordan was supposed to be maybe a late first-rounder, definitely a day-two pick in this past year's NFL draft. But getting that knee injury against UCLA, which would have derailed him from pro day and getting ready for the NFL draft, Jordan decided, you know what, I'm going to come back for one more year, improve my draft stock, maybe become a first-round pick, and then we'll see where, where we go moving forward. But I think Jordan Morgan coming back, being fully healthy at left tackle, was a huge win for Arizona. And then Jonas Savayanea, their freshman All-American on the O-line, they're probably going to put him at right tackle and then they have this other guy coming in, in Raymond Polito, who was once upon a time in Alabama commit. You know, that just goes to show what, what the job that Jed Fish and his staff have done. They were mm -hmm. able to flip a guy from Alabama to Arizona. Like, when's the last time that ever happened? But I think Raymond Polito is going to come in and possibly take over one of those guard spots. And Arizona's offensive line is in, in a pretty good shape. The offense is going to be just fine, guys. It's the other side of the ball that I'm really concerned with, and we'll see what they do. Let's talk about the other side of the ball. Um, you know, I know that – Arizona, maybe aside from Colorado, has used the transfer portal better than anybody this last offseason. How much better did they get on defense? I thought they got really better on – a lot better on defense, I should say, uh, because they got Jacob Manu, this undersized linebacker from Servite. He was the, you know, the lowest-rated recruit of the Servite quartet that came to Arizona – you know, along with T-Mac and Kean Burnett and Noah Fafita. But, you know, he really made the most impactful plays last season. Uh, you look at the rivalry game against ASU, plays late in that fourth quarter that didn't show up on the box score for Jacob Manu, he was responsible for. Uh, so Jacob Manu was really the unsung hero for Arizona in their success last season. And so I think after 
developing in year one, he's going to be more of a leader at that will linebacker spot. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what Jacob Manu can do, but other prospects that I think, you know, people should keep an eye on is the guy that you, once again, you guys are familiar with in Justin Flo. He, he had some injury issues. Uh, also would, you know, play so chaotic and so reckless that he would abandon his assignments. And you can't do that at the college level. You can, Utilize your athleticism and your physicality at the high school level and just be an absolute beast. But at the next level, at Power 5, man, you got to be able to be responsible as a linebacker, and that's something that Justin Flo is learning under Johnny Manson. You can only take so much from spring ball, right, because you're going up against your own teammates. So, of course, we still need to wait and see what's going on with Justin Flo, but I loved his progress this spring. I love the, the defensive linemen that they got out of the portal in Tyler Manoa and Bill Norton. You know, they're a couple of 6'5", 300-plus pounders. They're not going to be guys that show up on the box score because they're just going to be gap fillers, and that's going to allow Jacob Manu and Justin Flo and these hard-hitting linebackers to really do their job. And, of course, the secondary is also the big thing that I'm worried about because last season Arizona finished last in interceptions in the Pac-12. Um, but Isaiah Taylor, the son of Jason Taylor, NFL Hall of Fame linebacker, he looks like an absolute ball hawk. I mean, he had maybe about seven or eight interceptions during spring ball this past season. So I think Arizona's defense is going to take a step forward. Now, is it going to, are they going to be world beaters and be the best in the Pac-12? Absolutely not. But, man, if you could just get off the field on third down and give that high-powered offense a chance, now we're talking about Arizona going to a bowl game, which hasn't happened in, what, six years? So. Arizona's going to start this season with a home game against Northern Arizona. They will go to Starkville, Mississippi, play Mississippi State, then UTEP at home in the non-conference. What do you expect in those first three games from Arizona? Man, this is going to be really tough. I mean, NAU, it's going to be kind of a easy game for Arizona, I believe. And, you know, the Wildcats, the last time they played NAU, the, the Lumberjacks won. It was the first time that NEU had beaten Arizona since 1932. I mean, that was very rock bottom for the program. That was year one for Jet Fish. I don't think Arizona's going to have any issues with NEU this time around. You know, and then, you know, we're, we're also looking at, you know, Mississippi State. That is the, the first game uh, at home for the Bulldogs since Mike Leach had passed away. Uh, so that's going to be a really tough game. Uh, I, I think, you know, the, the crowd is going to be raucous. It's going to be very emotional. And so I, I think that's going to be a very uphill battle for Arizona. But, hey, don't sleep on the Wildcats possibly pulling off the upset. Um, I think very confidently I can say that Arizona will finish the non-conference schedule 2-1. We're talking to Justin Spears. If you uh, are interested, you can follow Justin on Twitter at Justin E. Sports. Writer, podcaster, yes, Tucson star. Um, give me an idea. What are Arizona fans talking about? Because from the outside in, I want to talk to Jed Fish about, you know, uh, how's the defense going to be? Uh, well, you know, offensively, do you, you know, do you have all the pieces? Will you rely less on the transfer portal? But what are the diehard uh, Arizona fans thinking about at this point of the season? Diehard Arizona fans are just saying, please get us to a bowl game. All you got to do is win six games and get us to a bowl game, make us relevant again, and that's all we ask for. Yeah, Arizona, Arizona football fans, they're not easy to please, or they're, they're very easy to please, I should say. 
You know, they're not like Arizona basketball fans. Arizona basketball fans are shaking their fists, wanting this program to go to the Final Four every single year and are, you know, greatly disappointed when they don't make it to the Final Four. Arizona football fans are like, listen, we are who we are. All you got to do is win that last regular season game of the year against Arizona State and then get to a bowl game and win the bowl game. And that's a successful season. That's all Arizona fans want. They, if Arizona, I mean, Arizona could go to the New Mexico Bowl every year. As long as they beat ASU in the process, Arizona fans would still be happy with that. And now Arizona fans are very comfortable. They're very happy that, you know, they go five and seven, and they finish the season on a high note. And now all these guys are coming back, and the program is on the up and up, and, oh, they're still recruiting at a high level. Things are great right now. Let's see in year three if they can get over that six-game threshold and go bowling. I also think, you know, that this Pac-12 media rights deal is going to dominate media day. George Klyovkov, the commissioner, is going to have to face hard questions. Do Arizona fans want to be in the Pac-12? Are they divided on wanting to be in the Pac-12? Where do, what's Take the temperature for us. So a lot of fans, I would say, out here in Tucson are definitely leaning more towards Arizona going to the Big 12. Uh, I feel bad for George Klyavkov because really, I mean, he's cleaning up a a decades-long mess right now left behind by his predecessor, Larry Scott. Um, but, you know, with the, the right deal not being done right now and really the conference in a very vulnerable state, I think a lot of Arizona fans are more willing to accept the fact that the Pac-12 just is very weak right now. And I think – they would, wouldn't mind going to the Big 12 because you think about it, Arizona is going to be thinking about this from a basketball standpoint. You go to the Big 12, and we're talking about Kansas, Texas Tech, Baylor, TCU, uh, Oklahoma State. You know, These are great basketball programs that you can compete against. And then with Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC, Oklahoma State's top dog in the Big 12, Like you can – do something in the Big 12 and maybe even, you know, compete for bowl games year in and year out. So I think that Arizona fans, they understand that the Pac-12 right now is in a very weak spot and maybe the best bet is for the Wildcats to go to the Big 12. That's just how Arizona fans are thinking yeah. right now. I would love to see Arizona actually go to the Big 12 if the Pac-12 uh, doesn't, you know, pull a media rights deal out of its butt. But, yeah, that's, that's where it's at right now, Arizona to the Big 12. I think they're going to get a deal. And the question is, if they get a deal and the money's the same, does Arizona believe that it can fare better in the Big 12 conference than it does in the Pac-12? And I, and I keep looking at, you know, conference tournament championships. You know, you, you, you win the conference tournament last year. Tommy Lloyd wins it. You won it in 2022. You won it in 2017, 2018. I wonder if Arizona can win it at all in the Big 12. It's going to be tough, and you know, you've got to go to now the Big 12 tournament, which is, what, in Kansas City, I think, and you know, you're going from dominating Las Vegas. I mean, you guys have been to T-Mobile Arena and MGM when Arizona's there. I mean, they, they dominate Las Vegas. Now you're going to Kansas City where it's majority Kansas fan. I'm curious to see how that dynamic goes, and you know, Kansas is still a blue blood in college basketball. They're still the who's who, and then top to bottom, the Big 12 is as good as it gets, but I think you, you, know, you go back and you look at Tommy Lloyd in the non-conference. The Wildcats have some very impressive wins 
uh, in non-conference play over the last couple of years under Tommy Lloyd, including winning the, the, the Maui Invitational. So um, I think Arizona can compete in the Big 12 uh, when it comes to basketball. Football, I mean, we'll see who's in charge. I mean, if, if Jed Fish is running the show, I feel very confident that Arizona can compete in the Pac-12. But um, I, like I said, without Oklahoma and Texas, I, I think Arizona, they're able to maybe have a good year every few years and just remain relevant. We're talking to Justin Spears, covering Arizona sports. Love your energy, man. Love your knowledge. Justin, we'll get you back on. Uh, will you be at Media Day? Are you locked in for Media Day on Friday? Viva Las Vegas, guys. I'll see you there. All right. All right. I will see you there. Justin Spears, there he is from the Daily Star in Tucson. Find it interesting to take the temperature in Tucson. See, if I'm an Arizona basketball fan, I would be thinking a lot like a Gonzaga basketball fan. Gonzaga's dominated the WCC. It wins some non-conference games that it can handpick, and then it positions itself to be a one, two, three seed in the NCAA tournament in today's world. You throw Gonzaga into the Big 12, the calculus changes. It's Texas Tech, it's Kansas, it's Kansas State, it's Oklahoma State. It's a different ball game. Maybe you're not a one, two, three seed. Maybe you're a six seed. Maybe you're a five seed. Maybe you're an eight or a nine seed because your day in and day out rank and file conference game not going to be as easy as it is in the WCC. And for Arizona, that has fared very well in the last five, six years in particular in the Pac-12. Forget vacated games, whatnot. Let's, let's just say it. Arizona has been good, good enough to win the conference, good enough to win the conference tournament. You throw them in the Big 12. Are you sure you want that if you're an Arizona fan? If the money's the same? And I find it interesting, some of the reporting that is going on in Tucson in particular, like the 24-7 site in Tucson, I, I muted it. it. It's not sourced. It's not relevant. It's barely on planet Earth. It's a lot of nonsense that is being spouted, and it's un, you know frankly, it's just unsourced guesswork. And, and you know, for, for I'm wondering how much of the fan base is buying into that. And then what do you do when the Pac-12 gets the deal? Because even Justin Spears, he says, if the Pac-12 pulls a media deal out of its butt, what makes anybody think that the Pac-12 is not going to get a deal? Presidents, commissioner, unless they're lying, and I guess that's a thing in today's world, unless they're lying and misleading, they appear headed to a deal. And I, think, I frankly think in any other world, in any other decade of college athletics, none of us would be tuned into the media rights deal when it was expiring, how long it had been. Hell, I, I have no idea when the Pac-12 negotiated their rights before. How long did it take? How close were they? You know, how long did they have to wait? And what was the ultimate? You know, we just, they announced the deal when they got the deal. We're just in different times. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT. Our big splash is coming up. Well, Northwestern... Uh, Northwestern's got a problem. Civil rights attorney uh, has come out and is uh, saying that uh, the law firm that is representing some of the Northwestern University football players who uh, say that there is some rampant hazing going on, uh, the law firm has received uh, a whole bunch of other reports of hazing within Northwestern University's athletic department. Um, uh, Civil rights attorney Ben Crump, and some other attorneys say that this is uh, at least 15 people that uh, they're representing. And they've been in touch with dozens of other former athletes.
that are uh, that are coming forth. So uh, there is a uh, big time potential here that um, there is a looming crisis, or at least uh, everybody trying to get in on the lawsuit at uh, at Northwestern. Stephen, help me out. You played on a bunch of teams. Your wife's a coach. How rampant is hazing? How big of a problem is hazing? I think it's different levels everywhere. I think there's always going to be like a like a seniority type of thing, but I you know the this Northwestern case has taken it to a whole new level. So that is considered hazing. There's other things that I would say where I wouldn't consider it hazing, but it's more like, you know, you're the you're the youngest on, or you're the lowest on the totem pole. So you got to do, you know, whether it's sweep the floor or, you know, clean up after thing stuff like that. I don't consider that hazing, but this northwestern stuff goes on way too it crosses the line. So I don't think it's a huge problem across all type of schools and sports, but I do think it is slight problems places. But what is hazing about in your mind? What is it? What is the, you know, why do people haze? I, I think people just love to have the power. I think that, I think it's some people really buy into tradition, tradition. Like it seems like the Northwestern case was all about tradition. This has been going on for years and years. And so they continue it and then people just don't like to change and stand up. But now people are standing up for themselves. And I think it's good. I, I don't know. I don't get it. Like I, I could never be a part of is something there, like that. But is there a good hazing that goes on? Uh, no, I don't really necessarily think so. No, no good hazing. Team? Does that cause team building or something? If no, there is no, there's no good, no good, ha- no good hazing. I do think that sometimes the younger kids can do things, you know, like I said, sweep the floor and stuff like that, but hazing, there's no room for it. Well, we will have punch it audio coming up. Best sound from all around. We'll cover it all. The NFL running backs are restless. Plus Dion Sanders. I'll play some punch and audio in this segment. I also want your phone calls, your questions. You have questions for me? We used to do a segment called Johnny on the Spot. You could ask me any question, any time. You tell me. What are your questions? 503-417-7575. What do you want to know? Let's take some calls. Then we'll play punch and audio. I wrote a column today at johnconzano.com about Damian Lillard and Burt Cold. I don't think we could talk about Damian Lillard without talking about Burt Cold. See, I happen to think Aaron Goodwin, Lillard's agent, is smart. I don't think he's dumb, but I think he may have underestimated the Blazers' brain trust. And that's not a difficult thing to do. You've got a uh, trustee in charge. You've got a vice chair who doesn't really know basketball. And uh, I could see the Blazers um, appearing to be a little bit like a, uh, you know, a little bit like a rube when you are going to uh, make a deal with them. But uh, when you're under contract through 2026, 2027, and you want out, it may not be the best thing to go public with that wish. Unless you have gone private with that wish. And the Blazers don't seem to care. I just want to file that away for a second. Is it possible that Aaron Goodwin and Damian Lillard approached the Blazers far before it got public and said he would like you to trade them? He would like to be traded. He'd like to be traded to Miami. And the Blazers didn't do anything about it. Is it possible? Because I don't really see the logic in going public if that is really your wish. It puts the Blazers in a bad spot. They have to look like they know what the hell they're doing. They can't take pennies on the dollar. 
Meanwhile, Pac-12 Media Day is Friday. It will be without Coach Prime, and uh, it, uh, but it won't be without criticism of the Pac-12. There's going to be a lot of people who want answers on the Pac-12. And on that note, let's go to the phone lines. I want your calls. Got a line open, 503-417-7575. Ace is calling in from West Lynn, Oregon, the mean streets of West Lynn. He's got a question. Ace, go ahead. The mean, the mean streets, indeed. Hey, thanks for taking my call. So there's something that's been, been, that's been bugging me. Kirk Herbstreet, you know, I, I used to like the guy, but he is making these subtle digs at the Pac-12. He's saying, is it going to be the... The, you know the the Pac West or I mean, the you know the um, the Mountain West and and just but his tact is very like matter of fact in his conversations and it's like you know I've heard you know Oregon and Washington are leaving wars they're gonna it just, he just it's very subtle the way he's attacking he's attacking the the Pac-12 I mean I'm reading between the lines when I listen to him and I'm wondering if there's any any connection between him and the Big 12, because it, it, to me, it's clear he has an agenda against the Pac-12. And that's just, mm. just to me, it's obvious listening to him, and most people aren't going to catch it, right? But it is clear and definite, subtle digs at the Pac-12. I've seen a lot of that, and I think some of the national media members, let's keep in mind, they work for ESPN. Okay, They don't work for the Pac-12. They work for ESPN. They also don't work at the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post. They work for ESPN. ESPN's primary media relation, media relationships are with the SEC and largely with the Big Ten until this new deal takes place. All right, then you have a peripheral deal with the Pac-12, but the prevailing thought was that ESPN may or may not be part of the Pac-12's deal moving forward. And so... I do think that the ESPN broadcasters felt like the gloves were off. It was okay to take shots. It was okay to, uh, you know, take cheap shots and make jokes. I think there's a whole bunch of that that was going on uh, behind the scenes. And I have picked that up. You've picked it up. Part of the college football playoff discussions last year as the rankings were released were rooted in, you know, jokes about the Pac-12 conference. And – and if I'm the Pac-12, I, you know, it makes me want to punch back if you're the Pac-12. But the truth of the matter is, when you aren't part of the playoff, and only two teams from the Pac-12 have ever made the playoff, Oregon in 2015, Washington two years later, the only team to have won a game in the playoff is Oregon. Beat Florida State and Jameis Winston. So the, the Pac-12 does set itself up. Let's be fair. It gives... Chris Fowler, it gives Reese Davis, it gives Kirk Herbstreet plenty of ammo to make fun of it, to disparage it. But I can't help but think how that conversation, that disparagement and the jokes play into the perception of the conference and the rankings themselves. It plays a role. The SEC, it doesn't just mean more. The SEC happens to be in partnership with ESPN. And so what does ESPN do in all its shoulder programming? It props the SEC up. It talks all about it. But the SEC has done well, better than any conference in America when it comes to the playoffs. So, you know, there's is it a yin-yang? What came first, the chicken or the egg? What came first, the joke or uh, the failure to perform? I, I, I think some of it walks hand in hand. But if I'm the Pac-12, the best way to shut Kirk Hurt Street up and the best way to shut Reese Davis up and Chris Fowler 
is to give you no choice. And, and it has to be somebody other than USC. USC makes the playoff. It's going to be, well, it's Big Ten-bound USC making the playoff. It has to be Oregon. It has to be Washington. It has to be Utah. It has to be Oregon State. It has to be somebody else. It has to be somebody else. Let's play some Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with Pete Thamel, ESPN. He says Colorado is a flight risk for the Pac-12. How big of a flight risk, though, Pete? punch it well we've reported for the past three months that the biggest flight risk to the pac-12 is colorado uh there has been contact with other schools i think when a league is going to last a year of its tv deal matt you'd be negligent to not check your options right but colorado met privately with the big 12 at a neutral site in early may so they have shown and expressed the most interest and every day that goes by without a deal increases the chances of their flight risk i don't you know i i agree to a certain extent with what pete is saying and i got a lot of respect for pete i think he's a good reporter but i don't read it the same way that he does colorado met with the big 12 conference in may we're in july what happened they met in may and what? See, when big, when UCLA and USC went to the Big Ten, how many news leaks did we get about the Bruins or the Trojans meeting with the Big Ten Conference? How much advance notice did anybody get? They just went. It was a shape-shifting move, right? They just they took off. It was an amazing move, and boom, they're gone. I think ultimately. If you are a Pac-12 fan, yes, you 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 go. Hey, a deal not being done at this point um, doesn't help you. But I'm also looking around, going, there hasn't been a deal done. Oregon and Washington are still with the conference. Um, Arizona's still with the conference. Arizona State's still with the conference. If Colorado was going to leave, don't you think Colorado would have already said, "Hey, uh, we got a better deal. We're out." Now, Colorado's hanging around for because Colorado knows that the Pac-12's got numbers that are in the vicinity or better than what the Big 12 is offering. And you don't leave your conference for someplace else if, unless you have game-changing money. Texas, Oklahoma, UCLA, USC. Nobody's leaving to go, yeah, we got about the same money. No, you doubled your revenue if you're the Trojans and Bruins. It's about money. It's not about geography even or anything else. It's about money. But So I, I, I think what Pete is saying as I unpack it is, hey, Colorado's done their diligence. Great. But they met in May and they're still in the Pac-12 conference. There's been no announcement. I, I'm not reading it the same way. Mountain West Conference Commissioner Gloria Navarez had a mess on her hands. She met with her university presidents and chancellors on Monday, and the fate of San Diego State is up in the air. Where does San Diego State end up? Here's Gloria Navarez, Commissioner of the Mountain West. Punch it. Relates to San Diego State. I'm proud to report that earlier this week, we came to a resolution 
and San Diego State will continue to be a member in good standing to the 23-24 season. As you can appreciate, I'm not going to be commenting on the deliberations of the board or the details of the resolution. Suffice it to say, I'm very, I feel like we've landed in a very, very good spot and we're very much looking forward to moving forward with San Diego State. Gloria Navarez in San Diego State for now are in it together. The Mountain West Conference is going to make San Diego State pay some legal fees that were associated with their potential departure. It still does not cement San Diego State as part of the Mountain West. They're still up in the air. They're still in limbo. Heather Denich talking about the college football playoff. She thinks Texas Tech is a dark horse. Here's ESPN's Heather Dinich punching. Real dark horse. Um, I would throw out Texas Tech because they could be a surprise in the Big 12. Boosters mm. are pouring all kinds of money into that program. Big surprise, Texas Tech. I'd be surprised by that. Although, I was surprised by TCU getting there. Is week two a uh, sneaky game, Oregon, Texas Tech, down in Lubbock? Uh, I think, I, look, Texas Tech, to me, has seven or eight wins written all over it. I don't see what Dinich sees. But, uh, but that's a big test for Oregon. Like, you know, Dan Lanning went on the road, played Georgia last year in the season opener, and they got boat raced. Uh, I think there's a lot of Oregon fans that want to see some road performance early in the season from Oregon. Week two. Go to Lubbock. I like that it's week two, not week one, and I like Oregon in that game. But you want a dark horse for the CFP? Try Oregon State. How about that? Does, uh, yeah. does Dinich's comments kind of just go with there's so much money in Texas that – because you talked about the boosters there real quick. Like, you, you talk about SMU to the Pac-12. Is that why it's so desirable to have a team in Texas in your conference just because of all the money that's down there? I think there's money there. But I think her comments are born from, hey, last week was Big 12 Media Day. You come out of that feeling really good about what you've seen. It's kind of like you and I talked to David Shaw last year, and all of a sudden we thought, could Stanford be good? You know, like that happens. I think you're going to see some of that talk early next week where people go, look out, Oregon State could be pretty good. Nick Daschle covers Oregon State. He was on yesterday's show. He thinks the Beavers have a shot to be 10-0. and Punch it. Shoot, I mean, your two toughest games are the last two games of the season. I mean, there's... There's a path to 10-0. and 0. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's a path to it, which you couldn't have drawn up last year or you know, probably any other year in Oregon State history. Maybe not even in 2000 you could have, you could have said that. This, this schedule, I, I was looking at it and I was thinking, what game will they not be favored in? The Oregon game for sure. But other than that, what game are they not going to be favored in? I mean, Utah, they're playing them at home on a Friday night. What if they're 4-0? There's no way that Utah will be favored in that game. It's possible. Oregon State's schedule lines up beautifully. So if you're looking for a dark horse, are the Beavers a bad bet? They certainly uh, they don't play USC in the regular season. They might play USC in the conference championship game. But, uh, you know, you could create a scenario for Oregon State. You can also create a scenario for Oregon. Dan Lanning's got a good team, and he's got Bo Nix. Do you need a great QB to get to the to the 14-team playoff? That's kind of been established. The teams that get to the playoff, what do they have from, from the inception? 2015, it was Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. You start looking at the teams that have made the CFB. 
and all of a sudden you go, you know what? Good quarterbacks. Saquon Barkley, among the running backs, plotting, says he may sit out. It may be his only play. He's thinking about it. Punch it. I can say f*** you to the Giants. I can say f*** you to my teammates and be like, you want me to show you my work? You want to show you how much how valuable I am to the team? I won't show up. Right. I won't play it down. And that's a that's a that's a that's a play I can use. Do I? Anybody knows me. Knows that's not something I want to do. But like it's something that has it something that crossed my mind. It's like I has never to. I never thought I would ever do that. But like now I'm in a point where it's like, oh, Jesus, like I I might have to take it to this level. And like, am I willing? Am I prepared to take it to the level? I don't know. That's something I got to sit down and like I got to talk to my family. I got to sit down, talk to my team. Got to really you know strategize about this. Can't just like go off of emotion. Can't go off of emotion. You also need to look at the history of running backs that sit out. It hasn't ended well for most. But you have a week in which Josh Jacobs of the Raiders, Saquon Barkley of the Giants, and Tony Pollard of the Cowboys all were looking for their second NFL contracts, all looking for big paydays from their respective teams in front of the deadline to get such deals, and all of them set to play the upcoming season on a franchise tag, which is $10.1 million, fully guaranteed, one-year deal. You have no security, no multi-year pact. Saquon Barkley was the number two pick in the 2018 NFL draft. If you are among those wondering now why NFL teams are not selecting running backs one, two, three in the draft, uh, here's a uh, here's an example of why. There's been a shift in thinking. And do, do you think that this is going to affect younger kids when they play football, whether they go to high school or college and they don't want to play running back anymore, they want to be a defensive back or a quarterback or something like that? I think everybody wants to be a quarterback well, when yeah. they start off. But I don't know if kids are thinking that far ahead, but it certainly can take the luster off the position. Because what do we talk now? We talk about quarterback, and then we talk about lockdown corner, so maybe a defensive back. And then we talk about big offensive uh, linemen and big defensive tackle being uh, those are guys who get paid in the league. And those are the guys who get security of multi, uh, multi-year multi deals. Well, even but, now receivers are getting bigger deals as well. But I'm looking, you know, even look back at this draft, Stephen. It, you know, at the beginning of the draft, what were we talking about? We were talking about Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, Anthony Richardson. You know, what did the Seahawks do at five? They took a corner that nobody expected to go at five. You know, and you start looking down the list and go, you know, Jameer Gibbs, the Alabama running back, went 12th to the Lions. It's a little bit of a surprise. But in the last couple of drafts, you just have not seen teams pick running backs. And, in fact, you know, Gibbs is the only running back picked in the first round. And so NFL teams have kind of wised up. And look, this, the, the, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl with Jordan Pacheco. Do you think that they need to adjust some of the contract rules uh, for running backs and almost make it them like a completely different like contract that you can offer in the NFL because because teams are starting to not want to pay running backs at all? So do you think there needs to be some type of adjustment where they're getting different clauses in their contract? I don't know because I, I want to say that the market should dictate that. not It should not be set. But when you look at the average career of an NFL player, the running back position 
is 2.57 years. It is by far the shortest. Kickers and punters, almost five years. Quarterbacks, 4.4. Offensive linemen, 3.6. Defensive linemen, 3.2. Linebackers, about three. Corners, about three. Tight ends, about three. Wide receivers, 2.8. Running backs, 2.57. The league average is 3.3. So teams have figured out, hey, these long-term deals, especially that second deal for a really good running back like Saquon Barkley, uh, it's a little dicey. It's kind of a 50-50 proposition. It might work out. But, you know, most teams are going, yeah, let, let me get one more year out of you it, n- with nothing fully guaranteed. The market won't lie. If he sits out, the market won't lie. Like, if the Giants need him that badly, they will cave. What do you think, that, what do you think happens? Let's just say he sits out. Saquon Barkley sits out. What do the Giants do, Stephen? Well, I think that uh, if they start out slow, they will definitely cave. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, Saquon is a really good player, but he's also been very injury prone. So I don't blame the Giants for not wanting to give him a big time contract. But I do think if the Giants start out zero and two, yeah, they may cave because that fan base and that media market is going to be all over them to bring Saquon back. But then I don't know how effective Saquon Barkley is going to be because he hasn't been in his camp, he hasn't been practicing. It's one of the man. It's a it's it's a tough situation for running backs and for teams. Like I don't, I would not want to be a running back in this situation. But I think Saquon and the Giants will figure something out, and he'll be back uh, by week one. We shall see. Anna's popping into the studio. Coming up, we got a lot to talk about, and plus the five at five is still ahead. You got the bald face truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. I want you to leave it right here. Anna's in the studio. Uh, before I get into sports, can I ask you a non-sports question? Sure. It's your show, so you can ask me whatever you want. Uh, Stephen, have you heard of this this uh, disappearance case, Carly Russell? Uh, I have not, no. Tell me if this rings a bell. 25-year-old nurse who uh, is a nursing student in Alabama um, claims that she was abducted. She had stopped her car on I-495 last Thursday to check on a toddler that she said she saw walking alone on I-495. She uh, then vanished for about two days. State and federal investigators launched a statewide search that ended after she reappeared back at her parents' house late on Saturday night. Local police didn't say that the kidnapping was a hoax, but they're kind of winking and nodding in that direction. They have done uh, a search of her internet search activity and her behavior. They've investigated her behavior in the days leading up to her disappearance. They say it's strange. They found that prior to her disappearance, she searched whether or not you have to pay for an Amber Alert and what the maximum age for an Amber Alert is. She also searched for a one-way bus ticket from Birmingham, Alabama to Nashville, Tennessee that was scheduled for the night that she vanished. She also searched for the movie Taken and looked up the phrase, how to take money from a register without being caught. Before leaving work and getting on the highway, she called 911. Police say she left work with a bathrobe, and toilet paper. She stopped at Target to buy Cheez-Its and granola bars. (laughs) Her family continues to claim that she really was abducted. Um, 
when asked, when the police were asked if uh, the public needs to be worried about an alleged abductor being on the loose, the police chief in Alabama said, quote, don't believe so, end quote. What do you think of this story? Well, <laughs> I just find it interesting. when you put all those pieces together, <laughs> it does make it a little circumspect. Like, what a coincidence it would be if she had searched Amber Alert, if you have to pay for an Amber Alert, how old do you have to be to have an Amber <laughs> Alert issued in your name I know, prior to being, dis- being abducted? My, my personal issue with that is yeah. that I would never want my search history revealed because I search for some weird things on the Google. Deion Sanders' toes. That was one of my last That's a new yeah. segment. That's a new segment. What's in your search history? <laughs> no, really. Or what your last text message sent was. No, I think search history is much more telling. Oh, goodness. Because it's like, whoa, what are you thinking? Because I think, you know, like you, we're just sort of curious about things. So I'll see something and I'll yes. be like, huh. And it'll just mentally lead me down a rabbit hole, and then I go deeper and deeper. And so, like, if anyone was, if something like this were to happen to me, <laughs> and, and investigators were using my search history to determine any kind of culpability, like, I would be found guilty immediately. No jury needed, you know, because I just, I search for weird things. Yeah, but just make sure you're not search like, how to hide your husband's body. Not today. Not, yeah, not, not today. Yeah, good I, one. You know. <laughs> but I can't right. say that after watching like a Dateline or something that I haven't done that and been no. like, huh, what is the best way? What What's the conventional wisdom on that one? During her interview with police, <laughs> she said she was abducted. She said she was checking in on a, on a toddler that she saw on the side of the row. Right. When a, when a man with orange hair came out of the trees and grabbed her. Orange hair? She claimed... There's only one person that came to mind. Orange hair? Carrot top abducted this toddler? <laughs> what? Orange? She claimed the man picked her up, made her climb over a fence alongside the highway, and then forced her into an 18-wheeler. She said there was a woman with the man, but uh, but she was blindfolded, so she didn't see her. Then once she, uh, she said she once escaped the 18-wheeler but was wrangled back into the truck. She said she was not bound because the kidnappers did not want to leave impressions on her wrists. She was taken to a house, forced to undress, uh, undress, and then had pictures taken of her, although she told the investigators that the two alleged kidnappers did not assault her. They just took pictures of her. Then they put her back in the vehicle, and she was allowed to escape. She came out of the woods near her residence. She had a small injury to her lip. She had a tear in her shirt. And she had $107 in cash in her right sock. No Cheez-Its. No Cheez-Its. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, what? I don't want to laugh at somebody. If there's a mental illness thing Well, we don't know that here. either. There's no abduction here. Can I just, can I, I'm going to say it. There's no abduction. Okay? I'm going to withhold judgment until the uh, police no. say that. Anna. There's, what? She was not abducted. Like, you can't. You know that. You can't search Basically, how do I make it, like, taken? She was searching taken. Amber alerts. Buying Cheez-Its. In granola bars. Getting ready for her, you know, time in the woods. Yeah. You know, like... Was there... So, nobody else reported seeing this toddler on the highway, though? No, but an 18-wheeler did report seeing her car on the side of the road. So... 
She parked usually, her car. She got out. She just, you know, she needed a break. She's had, like, she's a nursing student. There's a lot of pressure. <laughs> you know, Liam Neeson is, should be really mad. You know, <laughs> I will find you. I don't know. Look, best case scenario, I guess, is that this really happened. She had a harrowing experience. Is that the best case scenario that it really happened? And no. I don't know. No. Well, yeah, because that would mean that she wasn't making this all up as you were, as you are implying. Okay, not so subtly. But then she subtly. also has gone through a whole bunch in her life that's going to mess her up. Yeah, and there's an orange-haired man out there we all need to be worried about. Orange hair. That's okay. really distinct. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. Is it better that if is that really the best case scenario? She really went through this. No, I happen to think the best case scenario is, hey, she was having a mental breakdown. It's really unfortunate. The public doesn't need to be worried. She actually didn't go through this ordeal of being kidnapped and had her picture taken. That's true, because that would mean, yeah. yeah, that would mean that there's a couple, like a man and a woman out there abducting people. Taking right? their pictures, God forbid. Taking their pictures. You know? Uh-huh. Don't uh. abduct me and try to take my picture. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I just think it's one of those weird stories, man. This, people are weird. Yeah. <laughs> People are weird. You would be, uh, no offense, but you would be really hard to abduct. Yeah, they'd bring me back. Because if they didn't tape your mouth shut, they, they would, would just let you go they would in bring a me matter back. of hours. Yeah, they would be, be like, like, it ain't worth it, man. We can't, we can't handle it it's anymore. It's not enough money for this guy. <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, we'll see. Wow, um, okay. Yeah, that's, a, that's an odd one. Yeah. You know, that happens every once in a while, and... Um, you always wonder about like the mentality of somebody who fakes their disappearance. You know, those are those are some but those pop up I and understand. they're really odd cases. I understand why she would want to disappear. Like, don't you have days where you just go, I don't want to talk to anybody, I don't want to see anybody, I don't want to have you know, like we all have those days. I think it's really relatable. I do find that um Stress affects us all differently. Sure. You know? Yeah. Like Pacino says, you know, you squeeze one person, they go to pieces. Another person, you, you shape a diamond out of them. You know? Like the pressure. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just, uh, it gets people in different ways. She's a nursing student. She's going through a lot. You know, I actually think like most single parents yeah. who are managing like two or three kids and a job and whatever probably can relate deeply to wanting <laughs> to go into the woods with some Cheez-Its once in a while. You know? <laughs> I've definitely Googled how far a drive it is to Vegas before. <laughs> like, can I what? do can I do this and not and the, the family not know that I went? No, it's a, not you doable. Can't, you can't drive to Vegas and get back <laughs> like Vince Vaughn and swingers. Swingers, going to Vegas, baby. <laughs> well, I, I I digress. Hey, uh, what was your first reaction when you heard Coach Prime? say that he wasn't going to media day. I want to play his announcement on Instagram. It's heavily produced, but here he is kind of saying why he's not going to media day. Hey, I want you to hear it from the horse. I don't like hearsay and he say and she said and they said. Okay, it's what I said, all right? I apologize that I'm not going to be at the Pac-12 media day due to I get, I have to have a, another surgery tomorrow. Couple surgeries, pretty much, right? Yes. Couple surgeries, okay? Uh, one in my leg as well as to remove other clots and they got to go you can even show these but we really don't know for sure but you can show this is going to be last time my toes look like that okay you see how they all bent over tell them what they're going to do lauren they're going to straighten them out these two 
They're going to straighten this one out, and they're going to straighten this one out as well. Right. And I'm really dislocated up on the bottom. I don't know if we're going to get to that left. No, that'll be that's another like, time. Yep. That's a whole but they're going to fix these two toes so they're, they don't cause any more pain in the shoes. Right. And they're going to get the blood clot out of this out leg. Out of the right so leg. We already Correct. took care of them, got them out of this leg. Now we got to get them out of that. But uh, God got them. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your your wishes. Thank you for your uh, everything. Thank you for everything. And let me tell you this. This is how the devil works. He thinks that if he stops my mobility, he can stop my ability. <laughs> the devil is a lie. He, he, he can't do that. Okay, you could you you can't stop my mobility first and foremost, and that don't stop my ability. My ability is God given. You cannot touch that. You could delay that, but you can't deny that. So I'm gonna be high stepping and running out. I promise you, when we go to TCU, I'm running out in front of our team. I promise you that. Do you think that 25-year-old nurse should have just showed her toes on Instagram and said, "Hey, I'm going into the woods with my cheese"? Okay, not the same. Back. I'll not, be back. Not the same. Coach Prime, he he turns his foot, his toe surgery, yeah, into a wordplay on mm -hmm. ability and mobility. Yeah, and you got to give him some credit. He's a modern-day poet. Yeah, you know. Um, I, my first thought, to be honest with you, wasn't very kind because I thought, oh, he's just doesn't want to face the music, especially because mm -hmm. just yesterday we were talking about how he was kind of clapping back at coaches and criticism of him. And I thought, well, gosh, he just doesn't want to go to media day and face the music in a format that isn't on his terms. That's what I thought. Cause then I wondered like, well, how imminent is this surgery really just you know really like it ha needs to happen like right now um and then i thought and then i thought better i the kinder side of me was like well i'll give him the benefit of the doubt this kinder is a medical issue and he obviously needs to address it so who am i to judge there he also you know look he had a clot that's a serious thing yeah, yeah. and then he's apparently got a toe issue but I just kind of find it like that's not a surgery that I think would be impromptu emergency surgery, right? Uh, like he didn't he know didn't he know he was missing media day, and now he's just saying it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happens with him and and the decisions around his appearances. You know, I just I think there was probably I mean, could he have done this surgery Monday? Probably. Do you think they would move their schedule around for him? I don't know. I think that there might be something to it. There also might be something to the idea that he was big-timing the event, doesn't want to go. Or maybe he doesn't want to answer a bunch of questions about the transfer portal, and his athletic director, Rick George, will have to face the music. Yeah, so what happens with the interview that's scheduled to take place with you? They tried to swap in his defensive coordinator. Okay. I said no. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it as a matter of principle. Uh-huh. Because if you're not coming, I'm not. I'm not interviewing another Colorado coach. Uh -huh. I want to talk to Coach Prime. Yeah, it. It's kind of like you go to see David Copperfield. Yeah. In Vegas. Yeah. And they go, David Copperfield is having toe surgery today, but we have David McGee, who also <laughs> knows a couple tricks, who's going to perform. Yeah. No. No. I don't want to see The Apprentice. Okay. <laughs> you know, like you yeah. know, uh, Adam Levine going to be in concert with Maroon 5. Yeah. Except he is, he's having toe surgery. So uh, we're going to give you a stand-in. Mm -hmm. mm -mm. 
Not going to work. Doesn't quite work. And how does that go over with Colorado when you say no thanks? They'll have to deal with it. Mm. I mean, I don't I don't know. They're probably not surprised by it. Yeah. I'm not the only one canceling. Pac-12 sent out a note saying, hey, yeah, I got an email right when he canceled. It said, action item. And they said, hey, Coach Prime's not going to be able to make it. Um, you know, you're down to have a one-on-one with him. And uh, here's what they said. I wanted to check in. And uh, Colorado's sending defensive coordinator Charles Kelly to fulfill Coach Sanders' role. They didn't call him Coach Prime. On the main stage. Um, I know Coach Kelly will work for some, but not all. Please let me know today if you want him to fill that spot. I said, I would like to kill that interview. Mm-hmm. That's my response. And then the response I got back was, copy that. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know what? I'm As a matter of principle, I'm not – I'll wait for Coach Prime. And you know what? I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Unlike the nursing students in the woods who's obviously faking her own <laughs> kidnapping, I think – judging, judging jury I much? think Coach Prime God. has got a medical excuse. Uh-huh. He's got a doctor's note. And – I actually think they're going to straighten his toes. He showed them on social media. Yeah. It's not they pretty. They don't look good. Not pretty feet. You know? Bad feet. Blood clots are, that's the thing, is like blood clots are not to be messed with. My mom had one, and it was scary, really scary. It can be life-threatening. So. On that note, I want you to leave it here. More talk about your mom's blood clots coming <laughs> up and some sports news mixed in between it. I don't know. If I'm going to go missing, I'd probably uh, research weekend at Bernie's before I would do Taken. I wouldn't want to fake my abduction. I'd want to, uh, I'd just want to be wheeled around, you know, like a pseudo dead guy taken to parties. <laughs> you know? You think about the movies that got made. Oh, that... I loved that movie. Did you? Because... Well, because I loved Andrew McCarthy, so Weekend at Bernie's. Was he in Mannequin? Mannequin. Yeah. He was in... Kim Cattrall in Mannequin. All of those, you know? There's some weird he movies. He had a good run. There were some movies that, like, you look back and you go, why was that a movie? Yeah. You know? How did that become a movie? Like, all right, there, there's some weird... We talked about 16 Candles having a weirdness about it <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. Wasn't there a weirdness about uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, too? Oh, for sure. Like, the original? Yeah, the original. Well, Charlie's grandparents all live and sleeping in the same bed? I mean, but all of Roald Dahl's books are weird. There was an so entanglement like... in Charlie's grandparent world. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, that was just because they were poor. Yeah. yeah they I don't know, man. Bed. But I don't know if that was a, a year poor thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that was actually in the book, but and there was some uh, weirdness about you know Wonka, Wonka himself. Yeah, don't you think yeah. Wonka was a little bit like Michael Jackson? Oh, what? like there was a Neverland feel to the yeah, Wonka Empire. Suppose. Yeah, yeah. Only the kids were allowed to certain areas. You know, come on. Yeah, a little bit weird mm-hmm. there, Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, how about uh, Mannequin? How is that a movie? Kim Cattrall, who goes on to Sex in the City, is a mannequin. Yeah. Who comes to life. Yes. Come that, on. That used to be one of my favorites. And I don't remember the premise. Like, w- was she only alive in the eyes of, like, the lead male no, character? I think she actually came to she life. She actually came to life. Like, she, he wasn't mentally ill and everybody else thought she was a mannequin no. and he was just talking to her. But that's a weird movie. That's a weird concept. How yeah. did they think of that? Some writer was in a department store looking at the mannequin going... 
she's pretty hot. I wonder if she would come to life. Yeah. That would be great. But I mean, compare those. They seem so harmless now to the movies and the TV series that we watch. Like, this season of Black Mirror is really dark. I mean, everybody went crazy over Squid Game, which was just, like, how many people got killed on yeah. that series. You know? Yeah. I'll take a mannequin but or a Willy weird. Wonka over today's stuff but how does that movie get made it's like uh chip kelly years and years and years ago came on this show and and uh he was saying that he was on a plane he saw snakes on a plane oh yeah he's like how did that become a movie <laughs> in fact i have that cut here's chip kelly talking about snakes on a plane some movies i just get a kick out of like how did snakes on a plane ever make it to the movie theater like when someone came up with that concept like <laughs> said i got a great idea for a movie and it actually went i want to know what movies get shot down when you actually see a movie like, um, see a movie like that where it, you didn't know where it was next, and you see what is that guy doing in there, or why is there a tiger in the room? So it, it, it kept me uh, kept me occupied for a couple hours. Snakes on a plane. Is he referencing Hangover? Hangover, yeah. On how Tiger did, in a Room. How did a Tiger get into the room? Yeah, it's. I mean, it starts that. with a great screenplay, yeah. right? But you do think you go, oh wow, that went from screenplay to that one got made. Production, like somebody signed yeah. off on that and said, "Let's go spend millions of dollars and make that movie." But you know, and then we're in this era too now, where if you are a social media influencer and you've got a good following, they'll put you in a movie. Yeah, like, I know. And I have to wonder how that, how like like diehard actors who are working hard at their craft feel about the idea of like, let's say you're on Broadway, mm -hmm. you have a Broadway actor who's, you know, serious about their craft. They've studied. They've gone to school for this. They're, you know, it's the equivalent in sports is you you uh, you have uh, put in the work. Yeah. You know, you have, you're drafted. You put in the work. You get drafted. But only to find that somebody with a, with a larger following you in social media got picked number one overall by the New York Jets. Like, that doesn't happen, but it happens in acting. It happens in movies, TV shows, TV series, reality shows. Because they know, hey, we're buying marketing by putting that person in the in the production. So by and large, like sports is the great equalizer that way because it is mostly merit based. But don't you think the, to be. the Bronny James of the world get a leg up? Yeah. Like, don't you think they're viewed in a different light? Do, like, do do his skills really surpass others in to his an draft extent, class? To an extent, it gets him to the McDonald's All American game when he probably doesn't get there if his name is. You know Stephen Vaughn. Yeah. Okay. They say, "Wow, he's Sorry, a really Stephen. good player." <laughs> it's a, he's a really no, but like if it, it he's a really good player. Yeah. Who gets offered a college scholarship, mm -hmm. but he's probably not at USC. He's probably not in the McDonald's All American game, and he's probably not viewed as a he's going to play in the NBA here in a couple few years. Like you know, there it's a question mark. How hard is he going to work? Now the great meritocracy that you're talking about happens when he gets to the nba yeah and somebody goes we can't get you on the court you're not good enough yeah you know we'll so find it, out. it's it's subjective but not really well, it kind of happened with the ball family like lonzo ball was talented he got picked second then Lamelo was picked third but they have the other brother liangelo who stole things from china and then people thought <laughs> well he has a big following you know lavar's gonna get him into the nba well he's never got a shot because he's not good enough yeah, he stole sunglasses, and uh, that was a Pac-12 initiative where they went to. <laughs> Pac-12 has had this great idea. This is a Larry Scott brainchild. 
started in like 2007. Mm-hmm. He started saying he wanted to go to China. Yeah. Okay. He wanted to go over and rub elbows with the uh, you know the CEO of Alibaba. Yeah. And uh, Jack Ma. Yeah. And, uh, and all he was these chasing pe- the money. He was chasing all the money and relationships for himself, probably, frankly. Yeah. And he said, "I'm gonna we're gonna play a game every year in China." And so they took Colorado and Stanford and Cal and everybody over to China, and everybody kind of did a basketball trip. But I talked to um, Arizona State's staff that went over there for the game, okay? Mm-hmm. They said they walked into the arena, and they looked around, and there was 2,500 people in the arena, and they are like, what are we doing here? Why are we in China playing? <laughs> they don't even care that we're here. <laughs> and it was, it was so Larry Scott could hang out with you know the execs in China, but – um, Leangelo and uh, two other UCLA players. Yeah, I forgot stole about that. Sunglasses. It became a national story. Like, like they were just lucky they weren't in Russia. And they were like counterfeit sunglasses, Pro- right? I don't like, know. Were, like, uh, maybe they're like, good I sunglasses. hope that was worth it. No, you know? it's not worth it. That uh, that is, they didn't need the sunglasses. But they stole a bunch of sunglasses. They got caught. They had to apologize. <laughs> it was a bad. It was a bad thing, man. <laughs> That's was right. A, it was a blight on the Pac-12 <laughs> before the Pac-12 kind of had its own problems. Talk but, about a classic, like, 20-something, 20 yeah. 20-year-old 20 thing to do. Huh? How do you feel, Stephen, about games that are played overseas? Basketball, baseball, football, NFL playing a game in London, Mexico City, college teams. You know, I get why college teams in the summer, like Arizona State this summer is taking a European trip. Bobby Hurley's taking his team. It's a team-building thing. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to be on the road. We get to play some games. We get to have some practices that the NCAA normally wouldn't allow. Like Dana Altman has done that every year, too, at Oregon, where you know he gets out, gets his team away from the noise. But how do you feel about Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, playing games in foreign countries? I, I get it for professional leagues uh, because they are just trying to expand and make as much money as possible. But like you, you talk about the college teams, they don't, they don't care about the college sports over there. Like it's not a big deal. So I do think it's, it, I think it's good. Like we talked about hazing team bonding. Like I think it is a good team bonding thing to have your team or your school, you know, go overseas and have a trip together. That does, that is good team bonding. So I like it that way for practices and stuff like that. You know, scrimmaging against some of the teams over there. But to have, like, actual games in college overseas, I'm not about that. I don't think it does anything. But for the professional leagues, I understand that because they are trying to be global and uh, get as much dollars as they can. I don't like when, like, the NFL game will kick off at, like, 9 a.m., 6 a.m., depending on where they are. Mm-hmm. They should make the Euros have to stay up late to see this game. <laughs> we should play it on our – it's our game. This is America. Yeah. It's America. This is football. The NFL is ours. That's our game, Okay. Like, I understand, like, if I want to watch the Tour de France, I got to get up in a certain hour and watch it. That's true. They, yeah. I don't make them go, hey, you got to write at night so the rest of us in America can see your event when it's convenient for us. Leave it here. I love when our listeners tweet at me. Keep it coming. Got a tweet from uh, from a loyal listener, TT Mama. Says, great show today. I love the debate that you and Anna had. Of course, you know Anna's always right. My reply to that was, check her search history if I disappear. <laughs> Just keeping it real. Just keeping it real. I wouldn't be that sloppy, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to do the five at five. I have so much to talk about. We haven't really gone deep on uh, Damian Lillard on today's show. feel like we're doing a whole bunch of waiting 
when it comes to the Pac-12, when it comes to Lillard, when it comes to Major League Baseball to Portland. Anna, let me ask you, Mm. all right, because you're familiar with Portland. If the Portland Diamond Project has had a choice between putting a ballpark and a restaurant district and an entertainment district right where the Lloyd Center Mall is or out where the Red Tail Golf Course is in uh, what is formerly Beaverton. It was annexed to Portland in uh, like 2005. Which site is better? That's a really hard one, John. That's not a cut and dried answer because there's pros and cons of either that I see. Um, What's better for the city uh, is to put it in Lloyd Center because to be, you know, the spark for a revitalization of that area of town would be incredible. Would it present a lot of challenges? Um, Yes. Um, Does it have the bonus of having light rail close by so that transportation to and from the ball game is easier for those attending? Yes. Is there more room for parking and just kind of the infrastructure that would go with a ballpark? I think yes. Um, The Red Tail site, I like. Um, I I like it because it's, it's pretty and it's nice and it feels like that would be a great place for a ballpark. However, you know, when it first got brought up, I started to think about the neighborhoods yep. around there. Congestion, like, That traffic. is an area that already, like, any time, you know, on a weekday between 3, 4 o'clock and 6.30-ish, that's pretty jammed up. You know, that's an area that's seen a lot of population growth um, over the last couple of decades. And so I just have a hard time foreseeing mm-hmm. how it works, you know, and and... I would anticipate a lot of um, uh, pushback from the people who live near it. The it all co- it all boils down to me to you know city hall. How badly do they want to win? How badly do they need a win? They want and need a win, and uh, they are willing to do what's necessary to uh, give the Diamond Project the breaks it needs to get the deal done at Lloyd Center. Then it addresses a massive city problem and creates. A revitalization district between the Albina project that Phil Knight is pouring money into, between the baseball ballpark, and between the potential for whoever buys the Blazers to build around Moda Center and finally turn that into an area where you could actually hang out before the game, after the game, on a weekend when it's not a game night, you know, yeah. like like they're that whole corridor. Yeah. Has a chance to be a win. Yes. And that's what excites me about it, frankly, because, you know, when you look at Lloyd Center and what's left of it now, you know, we all know that broken window theory. It's like the idea that this, you know, structure that is there that is not really being cared for. Um, I am worried about that area and what that kind of vacancy um, of the building invites. I mean, we just saw this afternoon the Kmart over by Park Rose High School, which has been an abandoned building and people have been accessing it. That went up in flames, um, you know, and it has a lot to do likely with, you know, the transients that are moving in and out of it. So, um, like, if it, Lloyd Center doesn't become the site for this ballpark, that area does concern me. Yeah, and uh, the uh, the the entity that owns the Lloyd Center Mall, not easy to deal with. It'll be interesting to see if the city will work with the Portland Diamond Project to make that happen. 
If it doesn't, I, my sense is that that is site A, that that's their first choice. Mm -hmm. And their second choice, their fallback is Redtail. And they're going, hey, if the city doesn't get us to a position where we can build here, we go to the burbs. Yeah. That that becomes plan B. But, like, Redtail's not really the burbs. That's the thing. You know, it's still pretty close to the heart of the city. It's close enough that, and, it, and it's annexed by Portland, so you get a you get a Portland address. Yeah. And but you're bare, you know, you're just this side of Portland. You you may get some uh, pushback from Beaverton, mm -hmm. and you have a definite traffic problem on two seventeen. Yeah, we I'd love to know to, more. Yeah. I'd love to know more about you know how those matters mm -hmm. would be addressed. Let's take a quick phone call, then do the five at five. Turk. Is called in Turk MLB to PDX. What say you, my, my man JC? How are you doing today? Doing all right. Hey, uh, you're talking about uh, you know Oregon, Portland area getting a baseball team. Do you think baseball would be the next you know pro sport to move there, or do you think something like hockey? When you see what the Kraken have done, and you see what Vegas has done, I mean, three Stanley Cups in six seasons, pretty impressive. Yeah, the and NHL would. The, yeah, the NHL, it's it. more. It's more more ready made for NHL, it, given that you've got Moda Center, you've got, you know, the ability to plug and play. And I know that Paul Allen, once upon a time, was interested in the Pittsburgh Penguins, and if he wanted them, he could have had them, but he just he wasn't into hockey. wasn't mm -hmm. his thing. He, you know, he was he's into like brain research and sending a rocket to the moon. And <laughs> he was playing into real penguins, and, real penguins. You know, he had a submarine, <laughs> and he was like, did, "Did you want a hockey team?" And he was like, "Eh." You know, I relate to that. Like, you know, I'm not a dabbler. I've said that. Paul Allen went, you know what? Hockey, no. I could do it, but no. So I respect that. So I think it's more, it, you know, look, if somebody came in and bought the Blazers, they could bring hockey. But I actually think MLB's got a shot. And I think it'll come down to Major League Baseball is going to want to add two teams. They're going to look at Portland. They're going to look at, uh, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina, Nashville, and they're going to pick one in the east. They're going to pick one in the west. So what is Portland up against? Portland's up against Salt Lake City. Portland's up against Sacramento. Portland's up against potentially San Jose if the San Francisco Giants will release their territorial rights. Mm. The A's could be replaced by San Jose. So I just think Portland makes a little bit of sense, and baseball may be coming to it because baseball's picking some smaller markets – Smaller bar ballparks, trying to do some different things. I mean, I would love to restore a rivalry with Seattle. I just like know? to go to a game, Anna. Yeah. Have a dog and a beer. <laughs> I'm not going to the stadium for the dog or the beer, but I'm going to have one when I'm there. Let's do the five at five. Anna's got the five biggest stories. She's been working on this all day long. Mm -hmm. The five at five. Anna's number one story is. Well, it's getting a little messy. Remember that whole deal with John Morant? And there's a teenager that's filed a lawsuit against him based on an incident at his house last year in July. Uh, one of his friends was booked into jail today on charges of misdemeanor assault. So this is one of the people that um, is being sued by that teenager who claims that uh, the friend, the Morant friend, and the actual NBA player struck him during a pickup game. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's getting a little close. Like, it's getting a little close. The, the, the fire's burning closer to Morant. Uh, and so it's unclear about whether he will face charges, 
but the person who was with him during this incident, he claimed that he struck back in self-defense, but uh, the friend has been charged with assault. This is ridiculous. It should never happen. It reminds me of Zach Randolph, Zebo, and the Hoops family when they were riding ATVs and shooting guns off and drag racing their cars in Portland. Bad influences. Get rid of them. Don't have them around you. Think about who you want on your board of directors. Even if you're an NBA player, you should have a board of directors. You know, Jesus had his disciples. John Morant, you know, be careful who you surround yourself with. Well, yeah, I mean, this this guy that's just been charged, he's currently banned from attending Memphis home games. Yeah. Because apparently he confronted Pacers players. Yeah, in the loading dock. Yeah, and then that second instance of Morant flashing a gun on Instagram Live, that actually took place on PAC's Instagram account. So Brutal. Yeah. All right, there you go. Number two story, as you see it, is... Uh, so, tennis player Dong Sui, I think I'm saying her name right, uh, she's from China. This is an interesting incident. So, this happened at the Hungarian Grand Prix yesterday, and she retired from her match. I think it's funny how they say that. Retired from her match. I'm retiring from this show. I'm going to retire today. I'm going to I'm gonna use that. I'm going to work that in. I'm going to retire. She was visibly shaken and in tears after her opponent appeared to erase a ball marker on a disputed call. So this was during the first set of their match. Zhang hit a forehand that appeared to hit the line, but the line judge ruled the ball out. The chair umpire then came out to look at the ball mark and also ruled that the ball was out. But Zhang disputed the call and asked to speak to a tournament supervisor. The match continued for another point, but after that, her opponent walked up to the ball mark and erased it with her shoe. Mm. And Zong said, what are you doing? And uh, she continued to play but looked distressed and wound up leaving the match, shook hands with the opponents. Uh, you know, the opponent, Toth, celebrated the victory with her hands in the air. And then Zong later took to social media later to discuss this. And it's, it has the tennis world up in arms. A lot of the tennis players, I'll join the drama. A lot of the tennis players are saying that the Australians... Um, uh, actions in erasing... Is it Australian? Hungarian? No? Uh, she, the opponent was Amarisa Toth. Or wherever Amarisa Toth is from, that she was in the wrong. That it, so one, one player said it was absolutely disgusting. I don't know if it's disgusting, but if it's poor form, it's poor form. It's, it's a level of disrespect. So, But I don't think she should have walked off. The, the response there, and I would hope our kids, I teach our kids this, you know, you can cry about it. You can do something about it. I feel like she cried about it by walking off the court. Just kick her ass. <laughs> Beat her. Retire her from the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get it. I get it. Number three, what do you got? Speaking of retiring from the game, Dan Patrick announced today his plan to retire in four years. He told listeners that he plans to do the show through the end of 2027 mm. and then will conclude his career. 18 years at ESPN, He's radio been, host yeah. for more than two decades. He made the announcement fairly offhandedly, as he would, during a segment talking about what staffers on the show would do if they won the lottery. By the way, lottery is at $1 billion. Whoa. I saw that today when I was driving on the freeway. I'm going to uh, gonna go and... 
play the lottery. I'm going to retire now and mm-hmm. play the lottery. And if I win the lottery, I'll actually retire. How about that? Yeah. Dan Patrick, uh, in all seriousness, uh, I think he's the best at, at what he does. He's the best in the business. He commands a level of respect. He does the show the right way. He, um, It's not all about him. Um, I think uh, he has been a tremendous influence on the industry in a positive way. And we're talking about an industry in sports media that has a lot of negative influences. So I have a lot of respect for Dan Patrick. And um, I'm just curious, though, you know, we had some kind of bet, didn't we? Stephen, were you part of the bet with the Dan Patrick show? I was not. No, no. All right. I want to replay this. I can't even remember what the bet was. This was pre-pandemic. We had a bet. This is the first time we've ever done this with a reporter. Actual bets? I think. No, we did a bet. But it was a food bet. I think um, who, uh, John Canzaro from uh, Oregon. Oh, Oregon. Oh, yeah, yeah longtime lot. Oregon Canzano, sports writer, yeah. Canzano. He uh, he still owes us a dinner. We have an open tab on Canzano. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, John Canzano works for the Oregonian, a longtime radio TV host, uh, mm-hmm. newspaper host. I've actually got an email from him from last year. He offered to buy us barbecue at a local place for the crew. So he he honored his bet. We just haven't taken. We just have it. to go out to Portland. Yeah. Yeah. No, he said he'll pay for it here. Oh. What are you waiting for? Let's go to New York. Well, I was using an excuse to get back to Portland. Oh, I'm all in favor of doing We're that. Long overdue. Yes. Yeah, that's for sure. Let's put yeah. up a big tab on Yes. Yeah. I think yeah, Portland's thanks, waiting for us there. <laughs> I can't even remember what the bet was. I don't we, either. We went double or what? nothing on something. Yeah. And I might have I might have evened it. I can't remember what the bet was. I love that Dan Patrick is the one that corrects yeah. the pronunciation of I know, your name. I know. It's funny. And Polly, Thanks, Polly. But yeah. he's saying this is a young man's game. He says he's the yeah. oldest guy doing this. Judah got in my ear and said that you picked the Blazers in six and they had the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. I might have been a little homer there. It, but we had a second bet. We had a secondary bet. And I can't remember what it was. We went double or nothing. Paulie and I. I don't know. But, Dan, hey, good on Dan Patrick. He's done it the right way. I find it interesting because remember when LeBron came out as part of the ESPYs and he said he's not retiring, and then Dan Patrick called him out on it? I thought that that it was interesting because I was almost going to be like, why didn't he go, well, this is an actual retirement. Remember LeBron? I don't care how many more points I score or what I can or cannot do on the floor. The real question for me is, can I play without cheating this game? The day I can't give the game everything on the floor is the day I'll be done. Lucky for you guys, that day is not today. Lucky for us, that day is not not the day. (laughs) Dan Patrick went after him. Saying that, you know, that's not news. That's ridiculous on the LeBron front. But uh, LeBron not retiring, is that breaking news? I don't know. It's terrible. Terrible stuff. Uh, Good for Dan Patrick. 2027, though? That's it. Four more years? He's out. Mark my word. He says, start your preparations. 2027, he's out. So my goal would then be to retire before Dan Patrick. (laughs) Is it? Yeah. Okay. You're going to beat him to 20, the punch? 2027 feels like it's a long way away. It does sound like you a long You can put a kid away. through college 20, between now and 2027. <laughs> Let's go easy, DP. Maybe you should uh, make another bet with him. Maybe. Dan Patrick, I bet you that you outlast me in this business. <laughs>
double or nothing on that dinner. By the way, yes, you have to come to Portland to collect the dinner. That was my that was my fallback. Worst case scenario, I was getting. Uh, no, they said that you they didn't no. have to come to Portland to collect. The here's the, here's how that wager went. Okay, I, five at five is I totally remem- off. The I remember now the how the wager went. I went on their show. I was talking about how well the Blazers were playing. They were encountering the Warriors. And I said, I could build a case for the Blazers winning this series in six. And I did it on his show. And then Paulie said, you want to make that a bet? Dinner for your crew if the Warriors mm-hmm. lose the series. Dinner for my crew if the, if the Warriors win the series. And station management... And I hope they remember this if I ever have to pay the bet. Yeah. Said, hey, we, we got it. We'll mm-hmm. cover it. They're yeah. talking about you. Call back in. Yeah. So I called back in. We made the wager on air. Okay. But there was a second part to it. There was a double or nothing. And I can't remember uh, it. I got I to gotta look at my emails. Yeah. Got to look at my emails. You got to see what's in writing. All right. Uh, number four. Four? Four. Uh, I love this. Um, it's just a little tidbit from the new Netflix series, Quarterback. Uh, Patrick Mahomes booked his family's Super Bowl Airbnb in Arizona three months in advance. And the quote from the show uh, is him talking to Jalen Hurts saying, I just Airbnb'd it. I did that three months ago. I'm like, bro, that mm, blast up on the price. (laughs) How's my Patrick Mahomes impression? Pretty good. How'd I do there? Pretty good. But, like, I love that because it speaks confidence. Right? Like yeah. it says, I am so confident, so confident that we're going to be there, or at least there's a great likelihood that we're going to be there, that I'm going to book this for my family three months in advance. Yeah, good for him. A lot of confidence. I like it. Fine line between confident and cocky. He's he's walking it right now. I just <laughs> saw the email from Paul, Paulie, mm-hmm. DP show. Yeah. He said, uh, just so you know, our bet was all in fun before you came on. I want to add some juice to the series on our show. I know you get it. Blah, blah, blah. So it was kind of a bet, but it wasn't. Oh. They made it. They played it up on air. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well. Anyways, good for Patrick Mahomes. Yep. He's uh, he's feeling it. Calling a shot. Do you think that's bad for him? Do you think it'll come back to bite him if they don't make it to the Super Bowl? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, Airbnb, I don't know what the uh, cancellation. cancellation policy was on Do you that. think Airbnb is is paying him an oh. endorsement for for booking that? So cynical, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Bring some Cheez-Its on that visit. All right. Five. Number five. Five. There's one left. <laughs> Number five. You look like you're, you're laboring through this here. Um, Tiger Woods no longer being sued for allegedly cooking up a scheme to toss his ex-girlfriend out of his home after they broke up. Mm, I'm into this. Erica Herman, his ex, recently dropped the 30, count them, $30 million lawsuit that she filed against his trust. This is according to new court documents obtained by the Googling New York Post. Googling Erica Herman. Her decision to drop the suit comes on the heels of a related legal win for Tiger the judge ordered the case to arbitration, and that is what Woods wanted. Yeah, because it's there's an NDA. What uh, what did um, what happened? Well, you know, she originally filed the suit against his trust, alleging that he wrongly kicked her out of the Florida mansion that they lived in together. Mm-hmm. She claimed she was living with Tiger there for six years while they were dating, with Erica claiming that she performed valuable services for Tiger. 
in exchange for living rent-free. She claimed they had an oral tenancy agreement that was supposed to last five years after their split, but admitted she didn't have that in writing. So she sued the trust for $30 million. Wow. It was for the reasonable rent value of his house for the five remaining years on their alleged oral agreement. Why Gotta get you... it in writing. Yeah. Gotta get that in writing. A lot going on in this uh, little bit here. <laughs> I Googled her. Did you know she used to work at a restaurant he owned? That's how they met. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how they met. That's charming. Is it? What? She claims sexual harassment because oh. he basically said, oh, you, you're good looking and you work at my restaurant. Come be in a relationship oh, with me. Wow. Oh, yeah. It was a restaurant he owned. That's it, was just, it wasn't any old restaurant. The Five at Five. Okay. Thank you, Anna. That felt like a marathon. My gosh. It was what is good. it, like 545 That now? was a good segment, though. It was healthy. It was, it was meaty. It was chunky. Almost running out of steam. something. Stephen, do you enjoy it? Loved it. Yeah, it was a great one. I loved it. You're welcome to say that you don't love it, Stephen. Oh, you know will. that. He will. He's honest. You're under no duress here. Oh, I'll, I'll offend you if I need to. Thank He's you. Honest. All right, Thank leave you. it here. I got some thoughts on Jamie and Lillard. We need to talk truth. about this. You got Back the to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Tomorrow's show is going to be a whole bunch of fun. We've got a, a couple of cool guests I want to tell you about. Andrew Percival used to work in Major League Baseball. He's a data analyst for MLB and uh, is now in financial technology. Well, he's on social media as the college football schedule guy. He does a really good job of looking at all the college football schedules, finding data and analytical uh, advantages in them. He's looked at the Pac-12 in particular because he happens to be a Washington Husky fan. And he is going to join us to talk about the different schedules within the conference. When you have uh, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, Utah, and USC, and maybe even UCLA, as all part of the uh, favorite group, who has the advantage when it comes to the schedule? He's broken it down. He's looked at it. He also sells these schedules as a hobby. It's kind of his side hustle. He laminates them, sells them as posters, puts his uh, analysis on them, and uh, he does that kind of a, as a side gig. But uh, he's going to join us to talk all about that. Also, John Wilner will be joining us, Bay Area News Group uh, superstar. He'll talk to us about what he expects to hear from George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner. And uh, the best of media day from a year ago. How good or bad was media day from a year ago? What did the coaches say that held up and didn't hold up? I've gone back. I've poured through the interviews. You're going to hear a little bit of Chip Kelly, a little bit of Dan Lanning, a little bit of Jonathan Smith, a little bit of Lincoln Riley, a uh, little bit of Cam Rising, the quarterback at Utah, among others. And uh, just going to spend a little time kind of looking back and going, all right, here's what was said at Media Day a year ago. That's all tomorrow. Today at johnconzano.com, I wrote about Damian Lillard. Um, if you're a Blazer fan, I think you are ironically – caught in the same vortex that Lillard's caught in. And I want to unpack this a little bit. Steven, I talked to another agent today who knows Aaron Goodwin and says Aaron Goodwin's no dummy. If he went public with this Damian Lillard trade request, there was a reason he went public. Why do you think Camp Lillard went public? I think they... 
I don't know, actually. I, I have a hard time thinking that they were just going to get their way because that's just how the NBA is. But I, if I had to guess, that's what I think. I, I think that they, the way the NBA works is a lot of guys, they will sign a contract, they don't care, and then the next year they will request a trade and they will say who they want to go to. And those NBA teams, they give in and they just give them to those teams no matter what the deal is. Uh, usually, you know, the, the other teams will give back a fair offer, but it all goes all the way back to even like Carmel Anthony uh, with the Denver Nuggets. He wanted to go to New York and that was it. He'd op- they'd offered a trade to uh, New Jersey at the time and he said, no, I want to go to New York. They got the trade to New York. You know, same with Anthony Davis, wanted to go to the Lakers, went to the Lakers. You know, I think that's what Damian Lillard and his crew tried to do is they said, you know what, we want to go to Miami and that's it. And put Portland in a spot where, you know, Portland and a lot of NBA teams would just give in. And they would say, okay, well, we're going to send you to Miami, just get what we can. But Portland just went away from it. And so I think that would be, that was the strategy they had going is that they could just push their way around because that has kind of how the NBA works. They they may have thought that, or maybe, I keep wondering if maybe they asked to be traded earlier and the Blazers just weren't playing ball. But I don't know. I, I, I don't think, you know, Aaron Goodwin's not dumb, so whatever he was doing on behalf of his client, he was trying to get Lillard out of Dodge. Um, If Lillard is forced to come back, does he suit up and play? Does he resist and hold out? Does he pull a Saquon Barkley? Does he um, bite the bullet and be a professional and put the uniform on and try to make it work with Scoot Henderson? How does that play out in your mind if, if the Blazers don't deal him? I think if he's in Portland at training camp, he, he reports, or he may not report to training camp, but I think when the season starts, like he'll play. I, I don't see him sitting out. I think he will. He's the type of guy that wants to go out and just play basketball, and you know that's what he does as his job is he plays basketball, and so he's going to do his job. So I think if he's on Portland at the start of the year, I think he tries to work it out with Scoot, and it's just kind of an awkward situation with the fans and the team. But it's one of those things where then you know. The fans can really, you know, savor savor the moments, the last the last moments of Damian Lillard in Portland. But I think he would. I think he'd play. I think he would suit up and he'd be on the court uh, at the Motor Center. It's interesting. Do you think it works? He and he and Scoot Henderson. I mean, we had Tom Crean on the show who said, "Yeah, I think it does work." But in your mind, does it work? I think potentially, yeah, it could, especially in Scoot's first couple years. Because I mean, yes, he is 19 years old, but he has played two years of professional basketball in the G League. So. He's played against really good competition. I think he can figure it out where, you know, he would let Dame handle the ball a little bit. Scoot, not the best of shooter, but a very good athlete. I think he can, you know, cut to the hoop off of Damian Lillard. I think they could make it work. Um, it's not the best fit. Again, it's it kind of goes back to the whole Damian Lillard teamed up with CJ McCollum and teamed up with Anthony Simons. Just two smaller guards. So down the line, it wouldn't work. And it wouldn't work to get the team to the NBA Finals by any means. Uh, but I do think that they could make it work for at least a year or two, and I think Scoot could learn some things also from Damian Lillard if he did actually play with him. I, I'd just be curious to see if, you know, Bob Witsit, uh, the former Blazers uh, general manager and team president, told me that when Aaron Goodwin and Damian Lillard give the Blazers a list of one team, they might as well be saying, we don't want to be traded because it makes it incredibly difficult for them to get the trade done in the way that they are. And he he even said the longer it takes, the more unlikely it becomes in his mind that he will be dealt. He he went on to say that in his experience in making deals in the NBA, and again, he's been out of the league for a bit, but in his, his experience in that era of the NBA, if a player asked to be traded, if you could get it done, it happened rapidly. The longer it dragged out, the less likely it became. 
Does this become a distraction for the Trailblazers entering the season? Does it become a detriment to Lillard? Like, you know, you're a basketball guy. I, I, I just can't foresee a way that the Blazers don't trade him, enter training camp, and it's not every other question. And it just kind of hangs over the franchise. But maybe this is a franchise that's comfortable with dysfunction. Yeah, I, it would hang over the franchise for sure. And I think the Blazers, they, I think that if they are true to their word, which hasn't always happened, but I think if Joe Cronin and Burt Cold and Jody Allen don't want to look foolish in this trade and they want to get the most for Damian Lillard, it's probably going to last a little bit. And they're going to be willing to deal with the awkwardness of Dame coming back. I think the question would be, you know, does Dame actually play? I think he does. He may just sit out, and I think that would avoid a lot of awkward situations, a lot of questions, um, because I, th- I do think if he sat out that the focus would be on, okay, well, when is Dame going to be traded? It's not, well, Dame's here. How do you feel about it? I think it's avoided a little bit, but, yeah, it would be a huge distraction, I think. I don't think it would hurt the team or hurt hurt progress out of the young guys if Dame were to play and they were asking questions about Dame. I don't think it hurts that. But at the same time, like it, it's not helping by any means. I want to raise a question that was more or less you know, posed to me by Bob Witsit. The Trailblazers, as they approach trading Damian Lillard, can't just sit back and listen to Lillard. And Lillard's going to say what? What, is, what does Lillard want? <sighs> wants to go to Miami. Yeah, he wants to go to Miami. Made it clear, right? What do the Blazers want? They want assets back. They want assets. First round picks, young players. What do they want? I think. I think it's all of it. I think in the NBA, an asset is an asset, and you know it's kind of happening in the MLB with Shohei Otani. Like, do you trade him to get assets and lose him for nothing? We saw when Lamarcus got traded by Portland, or didn't get traded by Portland. They lost him for nothing. So I think just getting anything back for any of your players is good. But yeah, I think in an ideal world, it's young players, it's draft picks to go along with Scoot and Shane Sharp. Because I think that is. A big time question that has to be answered, and and it, you know, you have to be thinking about what you want if you're the Blazers. This isn't just about what does Lillard want, what does Aaron Goodwin want. You have to be thinking in very specific terms about what you want, and you have to lay that out and say, hey, we want four first round picks, because you know if Rudy Gobert and Kevin Durant are worth four or five first round picks, we think Dame's worth four or five, and this could be one of the Cases where Portland being the kind of market that overvalues its players hurts you. Because we've seen this, right? Like, every you, we all have friends who will say, you know, I would trade Damian Lillard for Nikola Jokic straight up. Like, no, the Nuggets aren't doing that. But what is the real value? Where is he as far as his age? Just had a birthday, 33 you know, where is he at when it comes to his value in the NBA? Because I think if you're a Blazer fan, you're kind of hoping that Portland gets draft picks. But is he worth what Rudy Gobert and Kevin Durant are worth on the open market? Not in Portland, not in the eyes of a Blazer fan, but in the open market. Probably not. Uh, but I will say this. I do think Miami is in a unique spot where the fact that Dame wants to go there, but Miami is also in a spot where they are with Jimmy Butler, who's very old, uh, you know, Bam Adebayo, who's not old, but he's you know a, a win-now player. There are a lot of win-now players. They were just in the NBA Finals as an eight seed. They're looking to compete. Dame fits their timeline perfectly, and there's not many teams in the NBA that have Dame's timeline, which is probably two to three years of, like, really good basketball. And so I do think 
that the fact that he wants to go to Miami, Miami fits that timeline. They should be willing to give up some draft picks because that's what they've been known to do in the past. So I do think that's the best case scenario, but we may be overrating Dame in the open market a little bit too much. But I also think there's a lot of teams in the NBA that doesn't, that don't necessarily, it's not that they don't want Damian Lillard, but he doesn't fit what they're trying to do right now, including the trailblazers. Like he doesn't fit their timeline I think there's a handful of teams maybe that really fit into Dame's timeline right now, and luckily the Heat are one of them, and I do think that they're willing to play ball at some point where they're going to try to get as many picks as possible to get back to the Blazers. There's a lot of fan bases that have power, and I want to believe that the Blazers fans have that kind of power, that they have influence within the organization, with the team, with the franchise, the front office being afraid that they'd lose sponsorship deals, that they'd lose... Uh, season ticket holders, but I actually don't think that Burt Cold and Jody Allen respect the fan base enough to to uh, to fear to fear it, and so I I kind of feel like that level of accountability is not there. What will the reaction of Blazer fans be? You have your finger on the pulse. Yeah. If if the Blazers don't get great value for Damian Lillard, or if they force him to come back. And, and start the season. What's the reaction of the fan base going to be? I think it's going to be a lot of a lot of hate. And there's already a lot of hate towards the front office and Joe Cronin and Burt Cold and Jody Allen. A lot of people think that Joe Cronin is just a little puppet master for those two. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much that is true. I think there's some truth to it always, but I don't know how much of, you know, how much, how much decision-making Joe Cronin is actually making. So I do think if they get less than what people are going to want. But I think, I also think this, John, I think no matter what happens, the Blazer fans are going to blame Jody Allen and Burt Cold. Even if they got a good haul back, they're going to blame them somehow, some way. I, I think it's a little unfair for that because I, you know, they're just so mad and it's been such a bad history. I don't blame them, but at the same time, they could get a, the best haul back out of anybody. And there's still going to be a lot of people complaining about the Trailblazers lying to Damian Lillard and doing all these things to get him out of Portland. So I think, I think it's going to be complaining no matter what, even if they get a great haul back. But, of course, if they only get you know one or two draft picks back, if they trade them to somewhere else besides Miami, I do think there's going to be a lot of outrage uh, from the fans to the front office because people love Damian Lillard in Rip City, and they, they want him to go to the best situation possible. If players don't give him that, then I think there's going to be a lot more outrage uh, just towards everybody. Don't you think that the tide has turned a little bit, though? Let's go to the phone lines. Sean is in. Sandy wants to talk about Dame Lillard. Go ahead. Hey, winning cures everything, John. In a couple of years, they'll forget about all this. Think so? You know, and uh, Damian Lillard, he ain't gonna sit out because he he wants those dollars. And uh, this might go on for a while. Uh, Joe Cronin ain't gonna mess this up. He's been here for a long time. He's been here since 2006. He's got a lot more vested in this organization than Damian Lillard. And he's finally going to get put a name for himself. He's going to be the mastermind of all this. He's, the next few years, you watch what happens. We're What's going on thankful. in the background there? What's happening over there? We got um, up down the street from the fire station. Okay. Well, I hope everybody's okay. Well, there, there you go. Joe Cronin. We haven't talked about that, Stephen, quickly. Joe Cronin, how much of his career trajectory is tied to the Lillard trade? Because I've heard people say, oh, Joe Cronin's all in on this. And I've had other people say, He's probably not the one making the decision, and everyone will understand that. Well, I think whatever happens from this Damian Lillard trade will define his career. Like, will he get another chance as a general manager is based off this trade? If he does well in this trade, yeah, maybe he's the Blazer general manager. Maybe he gets another shot somewhere else. 
But if this trade goes bad like a lot of his other trades had, I mean, you look at his history, he's had pretty much one good trade, I would say, and that was Jeremy Grant for a first-round pick. Like, the CJ McCollum trade has not worked out. None of those no. players are on the roster still. You know, two years, you know, a year and a half later, I think if it's something like that, Joe Cronin's never get another shot. So I, I think this trade really is going to define his career of where he, like, is in the front office in the NBA. There you go. I think if you are a Blazer fan, you're in it with Lillard. I wrote it today at johnconzano.com. Give it a read. More and some parting thoughts coming up. Good news, bad news, good news. Uh, Pac-12 is uh, inching towards a deal. Bad news is uh, Media Day is going to be dominated by that conversation. Uh, good news is that uh, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Dan Lanning, Jonathan Smith will be among those who show up to Media Day. Bad news, Coach Prime's not going to be there. What do you make of Jonathan Smith not bringing a quarterback to media day? There will be seven quarterbacks who show up. Jonathan Smith has a policy. He does not bring his QB. I will ask him why. I join those who think that he's making a statement. One, he's not going to name a starter on media day. Two, I think he is very much in the business of telling the rest of us and his team that the quarterback is just a piece of the puzzle and that Oregon State is not going to be the kind of team that shows up with Caleb Williams or Bo Nix or Michael Penix Jr. or Cam Rising or Cam Ward and or Jaden Delora and says, you know, this is our franchise. Jonathan Smith, as was the case when he was quarterback in 2001, just wants the quarterback to be a part of the success. That it's not the face of the team. And I think that there's more to it than just media day. DJ Uyangalele shows up at Oregon State via the transfer portal. And uh, I request him immediately. And uh, I'm told, yeah, he'll do some interviews. But Jonathan didn't want him to do interviews like right after arriving. Didn't want the message to his team to be, this is all about DJ. I think it's really smart. But can you recruit high-profile quarterbacks with that kind of mentality? Steven, do you know what I mean? Like, is does it become a detriment that Oregon State does not apparently want to believe in the star system at that position? Well, I will find it interesting if, you know, Aiden Childs, you know, let's just say DJ has a really good year and he decides yep. to either transfer or go to the NFL Branson, maybe he leads the interest of the transfer portal, and Aiden Childs is there, right? And he's he's the clear cut starting quarterback. He has a nice year. Two years down the ride, down the line, is Jonathan Smith bringing him to media day? Like he should, because he would be the unquestioned quarterback. Uh, he'd be the star player on the team. He should go to media day. But if really the policy is nope, quarterbacks don't go. I do think it would hinder it a little bit. Like I think that guys would look at that and say, you know what, I'm not getting the attention that I probably should be especially for a program that is on the rise like Oregon State is. So I do think down the line it could hurt, and I think he would actually change you know, change his policy up if it was a clear-cut quarterback. But I think right now this year it's very predictable that he wouldn't want to bring one of the quarterbacks. He doesn't want to talk about the quarterback situation. He wants to talk about a lot of the other returning positions. So it makes sense this year, but I wonder down the road when there is a clear-cut quarterback, is he going to bring them to media day? Yeah, and we will see. If that holds up, I'm going to ask him. 
I'm going to ask him, you know, where do you stand on this? Where does, uh, is this an intentional thing? I think it's really interesting. Um, it's uh, fascinating when you look at it and you, uh, you know, you try to try to unpack it. So um, we'll see what happens. Well, you kind of look at Oregon last season, right? Like Bo Nix was going to be the starting quarterback, but he, he never got announced that. He wasn't going to media day, but now he's going to media day because he's the man. Like he's the guy and we all know that. So I, I, I do think it's interesting that if that happens with Jonathan Smith, if he's really going to stand by this, you know, this policy he has and says, no, the quarterback is just another guy. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and I think when you are uh, somebody who is watching Jonathan Smith's program, he's had success with kind of like, it's a Bill Belichick thing. Like, Bill Belichick simultaneously says, hey, uh, we're not going to announce individual players in front of the Super Bowl. But everybody knew Tom Brady was on that team. Everybody knew that Tom Brady was the face of the offense of the Patriots, and Tom Brady was very much an individual who was making more money and picking up the MVP trophy at the end. Um, and you have, uh, yeah, in the end, you have uh, ultimately a a uh, situation where you can simultaneously go, A, we're going we're gonna to announce, you know, here are the New England Patriots, by B, going, and Tom Brady's our quarterback. But the Patriots are bringing Tom Brady to media day. So uh, I... I think Jonathan Smith has probably had it easy in that we don't know we don't know ultimately if he's got a star quarterback, will he bring him to media day? Because the guys he's had have been, you know, Jake Luton and and uh clearly last season it was, you know, you had a chance Nolan slash Ben Goldbrinson situation and now you have a Goldbrinson slash DJ slash Aiden Childs situation. But yeah, let's see uh, as you say you know, I don't think next year he brings Aiden Childs. I don't. I think I think you have to have come out and had a great season and be coming back for this to even to be a question. But I think there's a um I think there's a definite situation brewing there and I'm gonna ask him about it. So uh you do, know? do you think that hinders the recruiting at any stretch? Because I mean I I think it would down the line if Aiden Childs has a big year and then Jonathan Smith's like, no, we're, we can't bring the quarterback. I do think that would hurt it, but I also think he would change it, change his little policy at that point. Yeah, I, uh, I maybe we'll see. I'll ask him like Friday. Tune in on Friday. Check Wait. it out. We'll talk about it. I'm I'm excited about that interview. I'm excited to obviously to talk to Michael Penix Jr. And uh, I'm told not everybody's getting Jaden Delora. Do you find that interesting? That that the Pac-12 may not be giving softy of KJR in Seattle. A chance to talk to Jaden Delora. I do find that a little interesting, yeah. I, I, mean, I need to ask Softy that. I'm gonna text. I know he's on air right now. We're, we do a show at the same time, but um, he 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 told me uh, last Friday that he was surprised that Arizona is bringing Delora to Vegas. He's going down Thursday night. He said this has the potential to be a disaster. I'm gonna ask him. Did you get Delora? And that's my text going to Softy, who's on the air, and let's see if he answers. Um, I I believe the Pac-12 would put Delora on everybody's show and not pick and choose, right? What do I do if Softy's not getting Delora? Do I make a stand and go, if he's not getting Delora, I don't want Delora? 
or do I interview Delora and, and let Softy sit in and ask some questions? I think you uh, you interview him. I think you interview him and you let you know you let Softy know if Softy needs to know something, he can let you know and ask that question. Softy, he'll be standing there probably <laughs> eavesdropping. I do. It is interesting question. though because I, I I mean I don't think Arizona would bring Delora if they haven't coached him up so hard on what to say. So like I understand that it could be a disaster, but I also think he'll be so coached up on any answer that he should be prepared. We'll see how mature he is. I have questions for him, and I have a discomfort with it. Like, you know, people who know that, you know, I was pretty outspoken about the Luke Heimlich situation at Oregon State. You have a sex assault case. Delora has a settlement. Uh, I've got some discomfort with it, and I bet some Arizona fans have some discomfort with it as well. All right, tomorrow's show, uh, we will be breaking down Pac-12 schedules. We'll be talking about whatever breaks in the news world of sports coming up overnight. And John Wilner will be joining us. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time.